Hello everyone, and before we get into this week's episode, I just want to apologise about sounding like I'm in a well for this episode. I seem to have contracted something from James Shakeshaft, and I think I've just fallen into the well with him, so I apologise about the sound quality on this. Do enjoy the episode though. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I, your erstwhile host, folklore nerd, freelance RPG writer, and mad scientist, take you on a tour de force of folklore, myths, and legends from across the globe. Uh, some inane drunk ramblings may occasionally appear as well. On this week's episode, I wouldn't say week, we do it on a bi-weekly, monthly, whenever the fuck I want to do this kind of thing, um, <laughs> I actually have another guest. We had a guest last week, and uh, that was actually currently being my most popular episode. If you like uh, random folklore chats, about snogging boggarts, go listen to that. Um, Johan Eggerkrans from Sweden and freelance RPG, amazing artist. Go listen to it; it's amazing. Anyway, yes, I've got another. I've got another guest this week. Um, if you've seen any of my streams on my Twitch and that RPG stuff, you'll recognise her voice instantly. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, we have Fiona uh, from What Am I Rolling and DM's Book Club with us, because we're going to do something special, aren't we? Yes, we are. Thank you for having me, David. <laughs> That's all right. Um, so for those people who listen to the podcast but don't watch the, the, the Twitch streams or really give a crap about those twitch streams because they're not really folklore who are you and uh, uh why are you here stop <laughs> why go back why are you invading the folklore side <laughs> <laughs> yeah so who are you and uh, what do you do and uh, yeah introduce yourself introduce myself i will so my name is fiona i run two podcasts which are both rpg related one is about that that infamous you know big popular one called dungeons and dragons so apologies to all of you indie rpg people never heard there. Of it. no me neither um it's all right as a as a thing um i also run what am i rolling which is a twice monthly rpg one-shot podcast which david has been on a few times we've again some of the streams we've done as collaborations we've done we've done bluebeard's bride we've done salvage union uh, and I'm, I'm sure we've got loads of in the pipeline as well so yeah essentially my whole existence for the last five years has been telling stories using rpg systems and it's been absolutely well, eye-opening, wonderful. I've obviously met yourself, David. I've met some wonderful people through the community who have been equally passionate about telling stories. And just, and that's what I love. I also like being silly in streams, as David knows. Um, <laughs> you are the yeah. nicest person in any game that I throw in. I can throw you into the worst situations and you just come out as the nicest person. It's true. I really I... want to play Morkwog with you just to see how... Yeah, how that works when you're not meant to be nice in any way, shape, or form. Well, it's it's funny because like I, the, the so there's context behind this because obviously we've done a lot of games which and this is from my own bias. I'm not trying to put any stereotypes or anything. You know, these seem to be more sort of lads, 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 war, glory, blah. You know, those sort of games which I've been very kindly invited to, and I've gone, oh my goodness, imposter syndrome. I'm out of my depth. What should I do? Mm. Just be super nice, and no one will know. <laughs> And it turns out everyone notices and they go, we must protect her at all costs, which has been an absolutely humbling feeling. Um, so, yeah, my, my big thing has always been ask questions and don't worry about getting them wrong because there'll be a group of players who'll be like, you, you are here. We want to create a story with you. And you're quite funny as well. And I'm like, yeah, that's just naturally something I do. So, um, yeah, it's it's been I just love trying out new games. And like I said, just new ways to tell stories that are a bit different than just scripting it, you know. So, yeah, yeah. we don't always do 
battly battly. The first game that you were in was a thing. Is it things from the flood? Tells it me. was things from the flood. flood, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's not battly. That's all about weirdness mm. in the storytelling. Uh, yeah, well, Tales from the Loop and Things from the Flood uh, from Free League Publishing is, is such a cool concept, this idea of sort of futuristic, but in the 80s and 90s, and they're amazing artwork, as we all know, So, and a great system. So, yeah, anything like anything that is can put you into a world that you feel totally immersed in. And what was great about that game? I appreciate we need to go on to other things now, David. We'll oh, no, 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 I've got, there's a link that we can bring in with this. So don't Fantastic. Worry okay. Um, but like, cause obviously you based it around the Lake District and I'm a massive fan of anything that I've either vaguely been to or vaguely know of. So like I will watch any crap film that features London in it because I can easily sit there and go, I've been there. I've been down that street. I've been on that bus. And I know that sounds so sweet. I, I, I know I know that feeling. And uh, yes. a future, po- soon soon to come out episode, um, I was telling you before we kind of started recording mm. this, um, that I've got a rough idea of what my next couple of episodes is going to be on. And one of them um, comes from the idea of the village that I lived in and mm. relates to a movie that I recently re-watched Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh crap! That explains a lot of things about certain aspects of my childhood. Interesting. Um, and I will leave that for people to guess because <laughs> not many people know of the, know the village that I come from, or I was raised in. A, I was born in in a really dirty, horrible town down south in that bump of of the arse of England, and it's not oh. the nice one in the north; it's the horrible one in the south. Um, no, it's a village near there, and there's a vi- there's a very famous person, and it's all anyway. That's that's for later telling. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> yes, but yeah. So, relating to the storytelling that you were saying, mm. um, folklore is storytelling. It's a way to pass down knowledge through through telling tales in a way, um, and so that's kind of um, in this in a respect how folklore and rpgs for me work because our when we play rpgs we're telling a story and we're kind of learning things as we go and developing ideas and creating our own folklore in a way and so as everyone actually who does listen to the podcast knows i am a massive folk, folklore nerd and i am a massive rpg fan so i mean fiona we came up with this idea because i wasn't really going to do these um equivalent because a lot of other podcasts cover yeah. these but we came up with this idea of let's do something slightly different to what most other podcasts do so what we're going to do is each as you'll probably see actually by the title of the episode we're going we're covering the festivals the um the gaelic um festivals and so we are going to be covering Imbolc, beltane the one that i can't pronounce i was gonna say how far are you going because <laughs> like, i don't know the one off the top of my head um the one that i can't what is the what is, i can't remember i can't even remember what it's called now uh, and Salwain and the one that i can never remember lugnasa the autumn festival um hopefully we're going to cover the, those four mm-hmm. we may do more but so there's going to be a mini series kind of in w- embedded within my podcast it may go up on one of yours i don't know we'll I'd, see. I'd love to yeah if, yeah if you if you'd like the the files after i've edited you can have them and put them up there as well oh thank you so we're gonna i'm, I'm going to explain and talk about what the festivals are and then fiona will probably interrupt me and go but 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 i don't understand and i'm gonna go neither do i yeah um, <laughs> and then we're gonna kind of have a little bit of a chit chat and spitball some ideas for different rpg games and mm-hmm kind of scenario and story ideas that we would like to run and see how we can kind of use 
folklore in many different systems of RPGs. So not just kind of go, oh, it's D&D, it's a, it's a folklore festival, therefore yeah. you're all in a village and there's a festival going on. Exactly. Um, how can we actually use these to generate stories? And so we're kind of linking folklore storytelling with RPG storytelling by using folklore in and a weird I, kind of way. Yeah, and I was just going to say on sort of on that really is the reason I'm sort of really interested in these sort of festivals is that I've done over the last year I did an improv course which was based around these sort of festivals where we talked about it and we had a sort of a presentation and then we did improv inspired by these things and I just found it absolutely fascinating like all these traditions and stuff and never never punching down on them at all uh, just sort of taking the inspiration from them and going oh this is this is batshit crazy but I love it and enjoy it and like how you know people did these things for you know hundreds and hundreds of years and so I just thought it's such an interesting topic that I know very little about so I went to the the one person I know who does folklore and I'm like David tell me more so that's how that's how I'm involved in a way so yeah but it's also it's, it's nice to, to 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 collaborate with people and kind of do other things as well as not just yeah. kind of the thing that we focus on um kind of go away from that I'm going to give a few sources through this as to kind of where a lot of this information comes from. So, and they, th within those sources, they'll have other sources and, and you can kind of do that whole research thing that I spend my entire life doing by looking at science. Science. Um, science. <laughs> I'll one day do a weird episode on, on folklore and science and do some weird shit. No. But anyway, <laughs> the first, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into this now. We've waffled randomly for God knows how long. Um, so the first Gaelic festival, um, I'm calling them Gaelic here mm -hmm. uh, because they mainly come from the Gaelic states, so Ireland, Scotland, Manx kind of regions, and a little bit to the north of England as well, but they're mainly from the, the, the Gaelic, Gaelic countries. Um, but everybody knows of them. Everyone definitely knows Samhain or, Hall or Halloween as we know it. Mm -hmm. um, and most people have heard of Beltane, which is now kind of May Day-esque as well. Mm -hmm. um, but also Imbolg, which is what we're going to talk about today. There's some relations there with, with similarities with May Day as well. Um, or what we in England would consider May Day to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, so um, what is Imbolg or Imbolg, depending on how you want to say it? I don't know how you say this. Um, and I'm going to put the other disclaimer on that I put on most of my episodes. I'm going to fuck up names. Oh, pronunciations <laughs> are the worst. So Yeah, there's there's some Roman pronunciations in here as well for some <laughs> Roman things that I'm going to absolutely massacre. So. <laughs> um, yay. But yeah, so uh, Imbolc. Um, I-M-B-O-L-C uh, is how it's spelled, but apparently you say it with a G, but I'm going to say Imbolc. Yeah, Imbolc is how I would say it. Yeah. Um, it is the first of the four seasonal festivals of the Gaelics, um, along with, as we said before, Beltane, Lugnasa, and Sawain, or Sawin, depending on how, where, what country you come from. They all have different pronunciations depending on where you're coming from. And it's also known as what as one of the cro bleh, one of the cross quarter days. And so, a cross quarter day is the day that sits in between the equinoxes. Mm -hmm. um, so the other big festivals that happen in um, ancient times when when they had more earth earth based religions and were still kind of not I suppose industrialized is probably the best way to say it because um, a lot of the villages still followed a lot of the, the the celebrations and things and the church obviously kind of tried to get involved as well um, were the equinoxes and so you have your winter and spring and vernal equinoxes and or whatever they're called 
we may or may not look at those. I'm probably they're not. That we will see. We'll, we'll see, see how things go. Yeah. We'll see if anybody actually likes this random crap that we're going to talk now. What do you mean? This is going to be the most popular podcast after your previous popular co- podcast. <laughs> I like how you introduced the episode and it's like, but now we've got another guest who's probably going to be rubbish. <laughs> going to be better than me. No, not true, not true. Yeah, we'll see We'll see how it goes. We're definitely, I'd definitely like to do the four major festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, the equinoxes, you just stand around and watch the sunrise. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Damning review. <laughs> Shut down! It's like nothing I'm happened. Gonna, I'm gonna get a lot of shit for that. <laughs> Not that anybody ever leaves any comments or actually reviews anything anywhere, but someone someone is going to pick up on that and shoot me now. <laughs> so, moving on from uh, throwing shade on things, um, I'm actually going to throw. I'm, I'm going to cause a little bit of confusion here. I think so. Excellent. The name Imbok. So before we actually kind of go into like the festival itself let's mm-hmm. let's look at kind of what the name is and where it kind of comes from so in bulk it's kind of unclear where the name comes from if you actually google in bulk a lot of people will give you a lot of sources will say it comes from this but there's always a um, there are other sources out there which will kind of disagree um it's mostly believed that it comes from the old irish which I'm going to guess is basically said the same in bulk so. or yeah. in bulk. So I space M-B-L-O-C. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has the same pronunciation and meaning in modern Irish Gaelic. Apparently I don't speak Gaelic, uh, Scottish or Irish Gaelic, but it means in the belly. And you can kind of, when you, when you know what in bulk is, you can kind of see that why they think that that is where it comes from. And especially considering it's basically spelt the same, you can kind of see where it comes from. But there have been other ideas put forward, um, and they kind of come from the idea that it's a cleansing and cleaning um, ritual, similar to a Roman ritual called Lupercalia, um, and I'll talk about that later, Mm -hmm. um, kind of at the end of the episode, or end of the description, not the end of the episode. And kind of that, again, it comes from something known as Cormac's Glossary, um, which is a book of all the good things, old and Irish, and the entomology behind these words. It was written around, if I get this right, 900 BCE. Whoa. See, the 900 or 1100, I can't remember which, 900 or 1100 BCE. Mm-hmm. And it's an entomological dictionary of Irish words, which is kind of cool. Um, and it kind of it gives the name as milk so o-i-m-e-l-c um and it relates that to the beginning of spring mm. it kind of terms it as the beginning of spring um uh, coming from the translation of oimelg which means use milk but there's a load of discussions on kind of what the actual translation of that means um and whether it might have actually just been the author going yeah now this fits i'm going to do this mm-hmm. um if you want to look this up you can actually go and find a digitized copy of Cormac's glossary. Over oh, so it's on... not out of print then, I was going to say. <laughs> oh, the, the, there's many different versions of it. Uh-huh. Um, but you can go on to a Cambridge University website. I'll oh. try and put the link in the description of the show notes where they've actually digitized it. And you can actually, like like a, an online dictionary, you can click on the letters and then go into the words and stuff and actually properly search it like oh. an online dictionary. 
Oh, they've had funding. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had a lot of funding in that. Um, they've also put, they've put the actual digitized it so it's it's all you don't have to try and read this old person's writing. Oh, thank goodness. Um, but they've also put the original um, trans, uh, original writing but in text so you can see it. Oh, that's quite cool. So they've typed it out in old Irish and then they've put the translations underneath it. It's It's a little bit iffy to try and kind of follow things through a bit, but it does That's exist. Pretty cool. I like, there. yeah, anything like that, I always think is really cool because, again, accessibility is such an important thing. And as you said, like, I can only imagine writing from the 900s is is equally as bad as doctor's handwriting. You know, it's just like a scribble. You're like, I can't read any of this. So that's pretty. I think that's pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was, because I've heard of Cormac Glossary um, many, many times, but I've never actually kind of gone to look for it. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the places that I was looking for information on this, they said, oh, go to Cormac's Glossary because, um, well, that's where one of the names comes from. So I went, okay, let's Google that. Oh, look, it exists on Cambridge University's website. Thanks, Brilliant. Cambridge. <laughs> yeah. and there's, there's a couple of universities who've kind of collaborated together to kind of create this online glossary. Um, so it's, yeah, it's kind of some, some uh, asnc.cam.ac.uk slash Irish glossaries. I love the fact and that is an actual university address. It, yeah, in the it UK, is. So yeah. it's not one of these fake universities where they're just doing shit. <laughs> I just like the again, both you and I, because we both work in higher education. That fact that academics finally got together and sat down and created something that is quite useful. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, maybe there were deadlines on this. We'll never know. But I just like... no, no, there were because they've been doing this for about I think it was about twelve years and they've still not finished. It's still not finished. Oh no. well, that oh, tip. Typical academics. <laughs> but the worst thing is, there's only like 1,200 uh, entries in the in the original Cormac's glossary anyway, so it's not a big thing, and it's taken them this long to do. So, Whoa. oh well. I'm, I'm also kind of guessing that the kind of academics that are doing this are not like me as an academic who spends a lot of time coding and programming. These will be people who will be searching through old texts, so they yes. won't. They're, be... they're not doing the cool digitized version where it all pops up and stuff like yeah yeah they've got someone else in to do that <laughs> yeah um we we can slag off academics for as long as we want put that as a different yeah. podcast yeah. <laughs> a different limited series <laughs> limited series david and fiona slag off academics and you know what i hate that's what we'll call it <laughs> and then it's just academics <laughs> you know what i hate old white bearded scientists <laughs> I'll see you later. <laughs> right, okay. Anyway, um, moving on. Yeah. So, Imbolc is the name that most people know the festival by, mm-hmm. um, but that's not the the name of the festival as it's known in Ireland. And it's still quite massively celebrated in Ireland. It's 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 a major thing in Ireland, and in next year. February 2023, it officially becomes an official holday in Ireland. Oh, does it? That's really cool. Holiday. Whoa. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that they're also going to do it for the other three major hol- uh, other three festivals, which would be really cool. Mm. Um, but it's going to be a, it's going to be an official holiday in Ireland. So that's, that's really, that really is, cool. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it's known by a different name, um, and that is the Feast of St. Bridget. Mm. Or Bridget or Brig, or one of the other... 20 names that she's got that sound like Bridget. <laughs> um, so she is known, so Saint Bridget 
who the feast is named after, is also the patron saint of Ireland. Um, and she founded quite a lot of convents in Ireland, the biggest one being in Kildare. Um, which is somewhere in Ireland. Uh, my geography is not amazing on Ireland. It's, I, I've never been to Ireland, so again, awkward. I, <laughs> random side note: I have been to, I've been to Belfast. I've been to Londonderry or Derry. I, I'm not going to argue over the name. Call it whatever you want. Um, don't shoot me. I've been to Belfast. Belfast. Been to Derry, Londonderry, and I've been to Dublin. Uh, and when we went to Dublin, I discovered that my family has a rather large collection in, in oh, Dublin. Cool. And in one of the parks, there's something known as Whitworth's Erection. Oh. <laughs> and apparently in the year 700, in around the year 700 or something, uh, the Whitworth family got given the keys to the city of Belfast, not Belfast, Dublin, for beating up the French. Oh, good job, David. <laughs> Those bloody French. Yeah, 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 French. We'll see. I, I, it's always a joke that uh, again, it's been ages since I've watched any like proper co- comedian sort of thing. But obviously, Al Murray, Pub Landlord, he says, "Where would where would we be if we didn't have rules?" That's right, France, and it always <laughs> makes me laugh. Yeah, it always makes me laugh, even though it, it's not true or anything like that. But it always, you can put anything in there. But I'm just like, you know what, France, and not like, yeah, France. <laughs> we should have James Shakespeare on here. He he loves the French. <laughs> uh, and poetry as well we're not going to talk about any poetry I've removed all the poetry from this um, but yeah so uh, <laughs> moving on from my random connection to Dublin uh, another connection with Dublin uh, is beer because Guinness But mm-hmm. so yeah Bridget um, she got her sainthood through doing many 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 different miracles there's a whole huge list of these things uh one of them that kind of relates to kind of my podcast i suppose in a way is that she uh regularly turned water into beer mm. and that was considered enough of a miracle for her to get a sainthood <laughs> was there any particular reason why she did that because obviously you're like oh thank god we've got water we can hydrate ourselves she's like no we're gonna dehydrate ourselves by having beer is that is there a particular reason uh, I mean, it's, not, it's I, there, there probably is. I, no, I didn't I, delve into I, this bit. <laughs> I'm I'm also not going to complain. Like you know, it's like ah, hooray, we don't you know we got we just buy water and then <laughs> change it. Like I, I, I'm guessing she was probably an early precursor to someone like Brother Jacundus, who was just an mm-hmm. alcoholic who then became a monk by accident. Maybe she was an alcoholic who then became a nun by accident <laughs> and then became a saint. I I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, How interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, there's there's lots of kind of stories about why she became a saint and how she became a saint. We'll kind of cover a, f- a few random ideas as we go through. But yeah, so she was the patron saint of Ireland. Um, and so how did she kind of get connected to this festival? So the festival in bulk is thought to kind of predate Christianity. Mm. Um, a lot of the symbolism and things and, and the ideas predate um christianity um and we can kind of we we can kind of look at this and the reasons we know or the reasons we think we we can connect these to pre-christian ideas of Imbolc is the timing of it so we know that Imbolc and saint bridget's feast or feast of saint bridget is around the first or second of february Mm. it's a bit of a movable date or it used to be a bit of a movable date um but we'll talk about that in a minute is there are places in Ireland, uh, the most famous one is something, is it's a place called Newgrange, and this is a massive Stone Age, I, can't, I want, it's not a burial ground, but it's kind of a Stone Age monument, 
um, but it's a massive mound um, in the center of Ireland and its entrance tunnel points towards where the sun rises on both Imbolc and South Wayne. Oh, cool. And is it South Wayne? Uh, yeah, it must be because it's at the start and end of the year. And so it points at this where, where like, like we'd see with Stonehenge, where you've got the date where we can kind of tell where the, what time of the year is because it rises between the different columns of Stonehenge. We see this within a uh, Stone Age building in Ireland. Now, Newgrange dates from 3200 BCE. That is older than Stonehenge and older than the pyramids. Whoa. It's, it's, it's not the oldest, but it's a, one of the oldest pre-Stone um, Age large-scale monuments. The thing is massive as well. It's not a small mound yeah. thing. It is huge. And so we know then, yeah, if you Google it, you'll, you can see it. That's um, what I'm going to do now. Yeah, I want to see yeah. it. Although I just had to come out, I've just put in Newgrange and then it's gone care home. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, yeah, there's a care home. No, it's, it's one <laughs> word. But Newgrange Island is um, in there and you'll see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That is yeah, it. big, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, so I've just on onto Google and then suddenly like Ariel looks at it as well. It's gorgeous. I, yeah, I appreciate. I really want. I'd love to go see it. I'd love to go see it as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Is, it is beautiful. Yeah, it's just like yeah. yeah, as you said, it's a huge sort of circular mound, and there's like a white outside of it, and like you said, like a, a yeah. yeah. So there's there. a wall, and then there's kind of like a grassy roof on top of it, and there's a yes. then there's a entryway. Um, I did know a bit more about it, but I've forgotten all about it. I think it's I I, I for some reason want to say it's like a king's burial mound or something. Yeah, I I just literally clicked through. There's a, a BBC news article: DNA reveals Ireland's age of god kings, and it's mm. so, so around there as well. So like this idea of like an elitist uh, social class. Ah, yeah. oh, very cool. I, I I you know what I was going to say. Obviously, uh, again, the ignorance of me going. It sounds like a bit like Stonehenge until you went into big description about it. I'm like. That's really cool, and yeah, I, there's actually a picture from the inside as well on Google, which again shows the light as it goes yeah, in. That it must be quite cool. I'm guessing it's one of those things like Stonehenge. You're where, not allowed to go near it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I assume well, you shouldn't go near it, and then people maybe yeah. do on certain days, perhaps. Yeah. That is yeah, very impressive. It definitely, a definitely, a definitely a great Google search there. So thanks yeah. for that. Oh. Yeah. And so then that tunnel you, where, where you can actually you say you've got that photo, you can see out of it, that points towards the rising of the sun around Imbolc and Samhain. And so with it being this old, you can kind of say, okay, so this date must have been important to these people. Mm. Um, also, so one of the major kind of sources that I've taken a lot of this information from is the great, the amazing, the wonderful Ronald Hutton. Um, he's a preeminent uh, historian on witches and folklore. Uh, I think he's still at Bristol University. Um, and a lot of this this comes from one of his books that I've forgotten the name of. It was released in the 90s. It's all about kind of like festivals of the sun from around the world and stuff and, and, and basically prehistory, historical festivals and things. So, um, but he is a preeminent professor, doctor on, on this stuff and he knows his shit. So, um, so yeah, he, he makes a lot of these connections between uh, Imbolc as a pre-Christian and then it becoming Christianized when St. Bridget turns up in Ireland mm -hmm. around the 500 BCE, uh, kind of at the time when England and Ireland are becoming heavily Christianized. Who, if, if it's not based originally on St. Bridget, who was it originally based on? It was actually based on someone else called Bridget. Spoiler. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, 
Same name, they're, different they're, they're all, they're all <laughs> questions as to the naming on of whether St. Bridget was called St. Bridget or not. But the the other Bridget is the goddess Bridget. Uh, and she is well known within Irish mythology. Um, she is the goddess of inspiration, healing, smithcraft, uh, and has association with um, fire, the heart, the hearth, hearth. I was going to say heart there, hearth and poetry. Mm-hmm. She appears in the Tuatha de Danann, um, which is kind of like like the the, the gods family, and it's kind of like the mythology behind a lot of the the the, the gods and and mythology of Ireland. Um, she's the daughter of the the Daga Dagda, sorry, um, who is basically the god king leader person of the Tuatha de Danann, and is the wife of Bress, who is the king, who is the actual king. Um, and kind of weird family relations. Like if you look at any kind of any pantheon has any that, pantheon. Right? Fun thing is, is Dag- Dagda is uh, married to the Morrigan, um, so. That, that kind of level anyway so yeah so she is a major player within the Tuatha de Danann um, and if we go back to the Cormac's glossary again mm-hmm. um, Bridget is listed as the goddess who poets adored oh poets like her um, and she has two sisters uh, Bridget the healer and Bridget the smith so they're all called Bridget 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 Wow. It's like you can walk into a room and go, Dave! Loads of people turn around. You can walk Bridget, into somewhere Bridget, and go, Bridget! Bridget! Seven gods turn around and look at you. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, it's like that sort of thing with, if you had siblings and you shout, you shout, go, Bridget! And they go, what? And you're like, just saying! Just like, <laughs> that's what I can imagine just shouting them back and forth. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. Um, so um, within, again, within Cormac, um, Kind of, they they give the idea that it could be a, a triple deity idea, a bit like the Morrigan has become. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll dive into the Morrigan and as to whether she is actually a triple deity at some point in the future, because mm-hmm. mm, spicy takes. But yeah, so she could, um, whether she is or not, it's more likely, in my personal opinion, that it's one character. But anyway, we'll we'll look at yeah, that. Yeah, I, I I would I would instantly think that as well. That it just yeah. so happens that you add more stuff to her, and then it maybe for storytelling purposes yeah. becomes three. But that yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. Like cool. the person who wrote Cormac's Glossary was a monk in the nine hundreds, a long time after mm-hmm. Bridget would have been a major god within Ireland. And most of the to- stories, like we see with a lot of poly- um, Northern European cultures, the Celts and the Norse and things, mm. lived by the word of mouth. They were they. They were vocal storytellers. So none of this would have been written down. So the first times we see a lot of these are when Christians write them down. So they put their own ideas upon things, mm-hmm. which causes lots of problems when we look at certain groups where we're missing things. Yep. Anyway, um, so Ireland became Christianized in the 5th century. I'm just looking at my notes. Oh, there we go. Kilcade. Uh, put on over that. Um, I, uh, what have I written here? I think just oh to... yes okay oh yeah no go ahead I was just gonna say uh, the, when you were talking about before about what this goddess means so like the like the inspiration healing smithcraft and this association with fire which I'm sure you'll go into later on as well from my very basic knowledge of it is obviously it's now we've gone past the darkest part of the year we want the fire to come back we want the light to come back for the harvest and it's I know it's a big sort of 
stereotype in general for all these festivals is like all I ever hear about is like it's good for harvest stuff and and being fertile uh, for all sense of other words so but this it, it, the fire here is so important and like bringing it back and getting the sun and all that sort of thing is what yeah, I believe so, in this so it's interesting to have yeah, a goddess I don't know if I actually put it in the notes but you've just reminded me of something about it is Please. um Bridget was seen as a a kind of a summer goddess in a way a light god and so goddess so th- when when she kind of when we have it in but where we're starting to see this um i've actually don't think i've mentioned this and i probably should have done about why where's the sheep thing it's right at the top it's right at the top and i didn't actually talk about it when i was meant to talk about it um we'll talk That's about right. sheep in a minute because it kind of actually relates to this conversation perfect so association with fire to me would be the fire of the sun in a way um she's also um i've not actually said it in this bit but she's also connected to fertility um she's a fertility goddess as well because mm-hmm. it's the beginning of spring yes now a lot of people in england are probably thinking beginning of spring in february in the beginning of february it's still fucking cold and it's still winter <laughs> um the reason it's considered the beginning of spring is kind of one of the reasons why it also used to be kind of a bit of a movable date is because it oh. relates to the lambing season Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that's the, the original thinking is spring starts when the first lambs are born now lambs are sheep and lambs are hardier than a lot of the other um, creatures out there so the will they will give birth first um, and earlier because they can survive in colder climes and they would this that kind of lambing season or you'd start to see the, the sheep coming out and getting jiggy with it and all that kind of stuff around this time. And the first births might happen around this time. Mm. And so there's that, that's kind of why we see it as the beginning of spring and fertility connected to this. Mm. Um, but with the connection with fire, um, she is kind of seen as a lighter goddess. And so you're bringing back the light and mm. actually the words that you said, she brings back the light um, from the darkness of winter. And there is a, something to do with one of the, the celebrations and the customs related to it we'll talk about in a bit um that kind of relate to that and kind of a the, the opposite side of the darkness of, mm. of winter um, it's to do with weather, weather divination and groundhog day which is all a bit fun <laughs> um there's a lot of lot of interconnectivity um with kind of her different aspects and that's kind of why she's connected to, to february and the beginning of the year in a way and coming out of that cold Okay, the quick quick overview of St. Brigid for uh, that and mm-hmm. kind of how she then connects in. So we've talked about the goddess Brigid and how we kind of see her aspects connecting to Imbolc um, being being that bringer of life, the fertility. And spring is the, where where life comes out of. Um, how does St. Brigid uh, come and come and take over in a way? So she comes into Ireland around the fifth century and she builds the big, big convent. I keep wanting to say monastery. It's a convent in Kildare. Um, and after her death, she she is turned into a saint. Uh, and she takes over the role of Bridget, the goddess Bridget, because as Saint Bridget, she kind of shares a lot of the same aspects. So she's seen as a fertility, a, a saint of fertility, um and and these kind of things now there's a little bit of an issue with saint bridget in that we know a lot about her through hearsay 
none of it is actually factual. Mm-hmm. So we think that she was born around 470-ish BCE and moved to Ireland and created a convent in Kildare and became a saint. And then there's a lot of legends and things that are connected to her that are hearsay. There is very little factual evidence that we know of about St. Bridget other than that she existed. Mm-hmm. So is it then that kind of idea that we, we, we are well aware of that the church tries to push certain ideas together? Mm. Could that be a thing here? Or is it not? I'm not going to make that connection. I'm not going to make any judgment on that. I am not a historian. I am not a theologist. Mm-hmm. I am just interested in reading fun stories. And there are some actually fun, some of the stories on St. Bridget are quite fun. Uh, and one of them, and it's kind of why we think that another one of the connection, strong connections to Imbolc and the fertility thing is that St. Bridget was drawn to this specific date herself because Imbolc is a festival of fertility. And uh, St. Bridget, um, legend tells us that there's an association with milk with her because apparently she was the wet nurse of baby JC. She was, she was Jesus' as what, what a claim to fame. What a claim to fame. At f- she was born at 400, in 470 BCE, but she was also Jesus' wet nurse. There's some time travel shit going on there. Mm. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if that's true, and, and if, you, if, you, if you can become a saint and you can time travel, I want in on that shit. Would you count that as a miracle if you time travel? Because you know how they always say to get sainthood, you have to do a miracle. Would, yeah. How did you improve? You like... Here's, here is a. I got someone to do a portrait of me being the witness to. Does that count? <laughs> like, oh, how do you prove time travel? Mm. Anyway, sorry. That's how where my mind goes to prove sameness. Anyway. Yeah. And if, if, if you ignore her birth date of, of around 470 BCE and she was the witness, then she's really fucking old. And so she's not time traveling, she's found immortality. Well, there is, again, brief sort of recollections of this but is is there not talks about like old crones uh you know in going out and then changing into more youthful things as the the light comes back and stuff so that doesn't surprise me many many stories exactly so there you go it's like (laughs) one thing yes old crones revealed to be beautiful beautiful young ladies or Usually, the, way the other way around is beautiful young ladies proven to be old crones is usually the way it works mm-hmm. um, so yeah because apparently ugly old ladies are generally antagonists mm. so, well, um, take, take away don't trust any women that's that's what I've got <laughs> any women young or old <laughs> that's a lying yes, about I've, I've, I've had this conversation with myself many times on this podcast about <laughs> how, how women are treated in folklore yeah. <laughs> <laughs> usually not very well not very well <laughs> Although I was um, listening to uh, another podcast today, yesterday, uh, Tales of the British Isles. He's mm. finally getting back and doing some work. And he tells the tale of Kate Krakenuts. Um, it's a tale I've known for a while, and it's quite a weird tale. Um, but the protagonist and the good person is the ugly sister. Ooh. Um, yes. So, 
does have an evil stepmom in it though, uh, and, and a kind of evil witchy kind of character. But yeah, there are some folktales out there which do actually empower women, but most of the time, no, not yeah, good. you get the short end of the stick, and it's really fucking irritating. Yep. We will not go down a feminist rant. We will leave that for when we do our special, special, special game. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, it's an inside joke between me and David there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Anyway, um, so yeah, there's there's kind of the background of St. Bridget, Goddess Bridget, and Embolk. Um, so that's kind of where it all comes from. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the folklore and the, the history behind possibly or possible origins of the festival. Um, but how did people celebrate this? And this is where I actually discovered where where I've written the name of the book from Ronald Hutton. It's uh, hey. Stations of the Sun: A History of Ritual of the Ritual Year in Britain. Mm-hmm. And so it goes through a lot of the different rituals throughout the year and gives you a load of information and a load of references to actual kind of work and stuff. I've also taken it from a few of the sources that I've not listed here. I'm being a bad, bad researcher. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, so nowadays it is generally celebrated on February the 1st. Um, but as we said, it kind of moved around because it was connected to lambing season and kind of changes in the weather. So it was a se- and it's a seasonal thing. So nowadays we have set dates when the seasons happen, but in, in the olden days, seasons were when the weather turned. And we, you say spring started when the weather started to get better. Winter started when you got your first snows um, kind of thing. So there is a connection to weather here because um, mm. it starts when you see this weather change and when the first lambs start to have it. And so it, there was a custom of weather divination on, on Imbolc. Um, and if you, anybody knows anything about Ireland, they used to have snakes. Um, and also they still have badgers but there's badgers as well that kind of relate to this and they'd watch for when the snakes and badgers or serpents and badgers would come out um, and if they come out then the weather would be turning and spring would be starting they'd get a good year mm-hmm. and this is there's a possible connection here with the Groundhog Day tradition in America I say possible connection here because I don't know really that much about Groundhog Day other than the movie mm-hmm. and I just think it's a bit weird that they talk to a groundhog so the divination, the other form of divination that they'd used to do at this point in time on weather is kind of related to more folkloric tales and mythology um, and is related to the divine hag or, or the Kalich. Um She is kind of, she appears in a lot of the Gaelic and Celtic religions as this hag-like creature who does lots of weird shit. She appears in a lot of the, the festivals as well. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday about um, some possible connections to Beltane and we were like, is this real or is not? And I need to go and do a lot of reading as to whether that is or not. Um, but yeah, at, at Imbolc, the, um, the Calic um, has control over whether winter ends or not. Mm. Um, and if she's feeling vindictive and annoying and she kind of wants a longer winter, on Imbolc, she actually makes it a warm, sunny day. She tricks you because she wants to go out and collect firewood. So to collect firewood, you want it to kind of be a nice day. So she goes out, collects a load, load, loads of firewood on the warm, sunny days. And then if that happens in Imbolc, it's a warm, sunny day, you know the Caliph has gone out, collected a crap ton of firewood for a longer winter. 
Whereas if it's pissing down cold and miserable, she's going to stay indoors and not collect a firewood. Mm. And so you're going to get a, a, an earlier start to spring in the year. And so that's kind of one of the divinations that, that happened with weather for Imbolc. And so it's kind of a kind of custom that, that was happening there. Um, because we are going on a little bit here, uh, I'm going to do a, a quick fire few customs and then we'll kind of go into the big customs. Mm. Spring cleaning, it's spring, you do cleaning. It's an English thing. Other people do it in other times of the year, but um, <laughs> spring cleaning happens. And like, again, with all the other three festivals, you'd visit Holy Wells um, and you'd walk around the three times sunwise, uh, which is... I was going to say, what is sunwise? I don't know what that is. Is that east to west or... Which way does it... Yeah, it goes from east to west, which would be... I think it's... Uh, oh, yeah, it, think it depends on where you are, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. They just said Widdishians. I know that's anti-clockwise, but... I don't know what sunwise means, <laughs> um, but you'd be praying. You'd be praying for health, uh, and you'd leave offerings as like coins or something as you're doing this. Um, water from the wells would be used to bless um, your home and your livestock and, and fields and things. And if you live by the coast, you'd go and give libations to the. the there's kind of some evidence that people would give libations to the sea, like offerings of oat cakes and things to the sea. There's also a lot of stuff related to food mm. um, and feasts and things and specific foods. We'll cover a little bit of the kind of like the meals and stuff, but none of the specific foods because I'm not going to give you recipes. <laughs> um, there is, I think it's, it's the Food and Folklore pod, podcast, um, very, very good podcast where they talk about folklore and food and then give recipes related to the folklore. Oh, cool. Really cool. Uh, I'll just say, because I quickly double checked, so Sunwise is moving in the same direction as the sun, which is clockwise. Which actually makes sense when you think about yes, it. Yes, because that's how we do our, uh, what do you call them? Yeah. Sun, sun, sundials. Sundials, yeah. There we go. So, so we were right. But yeah, so I, because I, I, I've never heard of that. that I've obviously heard of Widdishings. Couldn't even say it. Mm. I, I, I have heard of that. But yeah, I've never heard of Sunwise. So there you go. So I'm sure everyone everyone who's listening is probably, it's like, you fucking idiots. Mm. And I was yeah, like, they're, they're, they're probably saying that. <laughs> but if you want to think we're, we're fucking idiots, everyone's heard of Widdishings. What's the opposite of Widdishings? Uh, Widder don'ts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I did look this up a couple of months ago. Yeah. And I went, yeah, I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce that. Oh, I've just looked. Yeah, no idea. <laughs> it's it's definitely not what I thought it was. So. Yeah, no, it's not. It's it's so random. But nobody uses it. Nobody uses the opposite of Widdishin. So no, we just say clockwise or Widdishin's anti-clockwise. So. So, um, anyway, anyway, well, <laughs> yeah. here's a fun thing for your listeners to do: is go find out what you know. Type in what is the opposite to Widdishins, and then ca- call in because <laughs> it's that kind of podcast. Oh, call in with your how do you pronounce it? <laughs> and don't worry, we won't laugh at you because you've heard me pronounce worse things on this podcast as it is. And yeah, well, d- don't worry, we're not going to answer the phone, so <laughs> <laughs> you'll be live on the next episode. Next episode: How to pronounce the opposite of Widdishins. <laughs> Uh, live call-in session. I will, I will say as well, because people have also asked, and at the bottom it says, what is the de- definition of a ninny hammer? <laughs> what a weird thing to ask at the same time as asking what Sunwise and Widdishins is, is ninny hammer. So there you go. Mm-hmm. In case you didn't know, it's a fool or simpleton. A ninny. That's what, that's what they've said. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the entomology of the modern word for ninny. Because it's not used now as, as often nowadays. Ninny, um, but yeah, when I was a kid, quite regularly called 
pe- silly people, ninnies. Ninnies, yeah. You silly ninny. You silly ninny. What what are we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about ninnies, obviously. No, we were talking ninnies. about you did the the quick fire custom, so we've done spring oh, cleaning. Oh yeah, we just we, we holy, on holy libations world. to the sea. That's I it, love yes. that word, libations. Libations is good. Offerings to the sea, libations to the sea. Um, kind of makes me think of imbibe as well for some reason. I don't know why. Libations and imbibe are kind of two words, but. I always think that because obviously, if you're giving offerings to the sea, do you wait for it to, for the tide to go out, or do you wait for the tide to come in, or do you just sling in your hook and like just throw it into the sea? Fuck off! <laughs> Don't well, take. It's an oat cake. It's probably something you can frisbee. Would you try and frisbee an oat cake and then see how many? I'll um, do the, the skipping stones. Skipping stones thing with an oat cake, and it just goes one. Unless it's a Scottish oat cake and it's war bread. Ooh, true, 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 true. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing if it's a drink, you'd probably. I, I know some some kind of uh, some of the, the festivals you'd actually wade out a little way and kind of do it out there. But I just now have this image of these these people in these old folk customs just walking out and just frisbeeing oat cakes into the sea. Oat cakes. I like the idea that, that someone goes out with their with their own Dr Pepper or Lucasade <laughs> and it's like, here you go, see, I, I want to have a bit of this. Look at that, bit of sugar. In Scotland, it's a bit of iron brew. Oh, hey, hey, no no complaints there. <laughs> a, a deep fried Mars bar. It's like, here you go, mate. Uh, luckily, most of my, my, my listeners are English, so they'll, they'll be there. Hey, I, I went to university in, in Scotland. I will say I, I absolutely loved being there. I thought Iron Brew was great. I, 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 you joke, I loved Iron Brew. I loved my deep fried everything. I, I've good. never tried deep fried Mars bar. I've had deep fried ice cream, which I always find really intriguing. I know the physics as to why it works, and stuff, but I always find it really bizarre. Yeah, it's like, I'm not so sure. <laughs> why does this work, but also not work? My, my sort uh, of side tangent for this episode, then, is that apparently, well, rumour, in, in St Andrews, there is a takeaway shop where it will, if you go in and pay a certain amount of money, they will deep fry anything. But they stopped when somebody brought in a, a seagull, a dead seagull, to be deep fried. That is a rumour. I don't know if it's true, but... <laughs> I like I've heard idea. the rumours of, of chip shops in, in Scotland. If you bring in and ask them to deep fry anything, they'll do it. But I've never heard of the, the, the connection to a seagull. I do, well, again, are, I, can... I do have a few friends at university who are from Scotland um, who might be able to shed more light onto this. We'll find out in the next episode. <laughs> Undercover. If I remember, I probably won't. But yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a big rumour, I remember. But yeah, they, they are, again, depending modern on what folklore. it is. Modern, modern folklore. folklore. Modern urban myths. How about yeah. that? <laughs> well, uh, urban legends and urban myths can, can be connected to folklore. Go listen to less episode nine. I've got an entire rant about it, <laughs> about modern folklore, um, just to annoy annoy some of the purists out there. Anyway, <laughs> back on track because we're quite a long way into the recording and we're only maybe halfway through my notes. <laughs> That's all right. We don't we don't have to always go for the notes, but whatever makes it easier. No, but some of the, some of these are cool, and um, we'll get told off if we don't do some of these. And you go, why did you do Inbog and not talk about these? You're like, well, because we got sidetracked. Um, so we're going to talk about things related to Bridget again. We're going back to Bridget, because mm-hmm. whether you talk about the Saint or the Goddess, um, Inbog is connected to to Bridget. And uh, on, 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 on in bulk eve january 31st um on the night so there's kind of we think about the day starting at midnight 
and going mm -hmm. through to midnight. Whereas back in back in the olden times, um, the day would end as the sun set and the Ooh. new day would start at, at that point. That's really cool. I never knew that. That's really and cool. And so a lot of the things would start overnight and then the next day you'd kind of continue things going on. So when we talk about Inbox Eve, it's January the 31st mm -hmm. and things start on that night. So they start that day and pre preparations start on that day. And then on the night as the night starts, that's when you start to see the festivities and the celebrations and the rituals begin as mm -hmm. they then move into February the 1st. And then that's the, the Inbox day. Um, whereas I think nowadays people do things on February 1st during the day and then in the evening, they carry on through into the evening. And so it's just a shift in the way that we understand when days start and end and how we view time. They didn't have British summertime and things like that. No. Here's an interesting question to you about British summertime and, and UTC. All right. If you have a ghost or a poltergeist that always starts at one o'clock in the morning, does it know when British summertime starts? Because British summertime thing started in the 1930s, 1940s. Yeah, for, for war efforts and stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so it's... if you have a ghost or poltergeist that is from something from the 1800s, does it know when to move? And so does it does it always happen all the way through the year at one o'clock? Mm. Or does it shift when we change the clocks? Yeah, because I think that question came up on Uncanny. Yes, yes, it did. No, but it was, again, very interesting because, again, it was referring to a ghost story about every time at this particular time at night, they'd be running up the stairs or something like that. I think that's because I think that helps it define if it's a more if it is again real in quotation marks or as some of the things i do find that's an interesting thing how yeah. modern stuff like that does impact on these uh phenomena and stuff like yeah. that so i think it is a really interesting question so i i, I quite like that as a i, I like that i like that as a question I'd, I'd, I'd like to know more about that so um if anybody does have a podcast that happens at specific times during the night please let me know as to whether it changes when the top clocks change because mm -hmm. that'd be interesting to know mm -hmm. um but anyway, um, let's sidetrack again. Uh, let's talk about Bridget. Let's let's try and get through this. Let's do it. So then we're going to talk about RPGs afterwards as well. Sorry, we'll, we'll keep that nice and quick, so it's all good. Okay, so right, uh, Bridget. Um, she's thought to visit the house, whether it's the goddess or the saint. She's thought to visit the house of good and proper people and bless them on the on the night of what we would call in Bulk Eve. Can I, can I ask a question then? What what do we mean by good and proper? Because <laughs> like, I feel like good, I understand. Proper feels very British, like, oh, you know, good and proper. The like... words are generally used, which is virtuous. That's what I thought, yeah. But again, a lot of this is kind of, it depends upon your moral points of view. Mm -hmm. um, are you taking the Christian point of view of virtuous? Are you taking the middle-aged point of view of virtuous? Are you taking the pagan point of view of virtuous they're very different ideas and so basically have you been a fuckhead or not um, yeah have you been an ass yeah. no i just i just think that's such a weird, interesting it's, it's the spring version of father christmas yeah <laughs> I just, I just, gifts, but... it's just, it, no i just think it's an interesting good and proper is such an interesting quote so that, that's the only reason i was like oh that's an interesting because obviously, uh, good households. It, other people write virtuous, yeah. and there's other definitions of it. It's no, just like no, good and proper because. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, but yeah, so basically, people who have been good throughout the year and haven't been assholes to other people, she'll come and visit and bless the houses, um, which obviously gives you um, kind of good good fortune for the year. 
um, to kind of get more fortune from from the visit. Um, items of clothing and strips of cloth are generally left outside, um, and these um, then during the day of inbox or the, the day after, you bring them inside, and they're thought to have powers of healing and protection. Mm-hmm. Um, quite often, people will try to invite the spirit of Bridget into the house as well, um, where a special supper is laid on um, for her. Uh, and there's usually a special place at the table um, set for her with the family with special foods and drinks for her as well. There are, depending upon where you are in Ireland or Scotland or Manx, there are different meals that are laid out and different things that are laid out for her as to kind of what you what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things in the Hebrides, they quite often make a bed for her, a special bed, and in Manx, um, they often make do this in the barn rather than actually in the house. They, they set a, a, a specific place aside for her in a barn with food and ale and a candle for light at night and stuff. And so there's this kind of idea that you bring her in and you welcome her into your house. So her being the new fertility and the new dawn and the new bringing in the new year, you're bringing in good luck into your house. And if she stays with you, and there is something to do with whether you know whether she stays with you and whether she visited, we'll come to that later. Um, you're, you're given good fortune for the year. Mm-hmm. Um, if not, then you have to start doing weird shit to make sure you do have good fortune. But the um, to kind of one of the things that they they also used to do, um, and this kind of it appears twice in two different kind of ideas of celebrations for is is the corn dolly. Um, I grew up having corn dollies, and no, uh, um, as a child, I remember having corn dollies. Um, they are. I, I've written the name down here. I was going to say, good luck with that. Uh... <laughs> Dale de Breed is what I'm going to go with. Sounds good. Dale de Breed, um, and it's it's a corn dolly. It's a, it's an icon of Bridget, um, and it usually comes with a birch wand mm-hmm. um, or some other kind of white wood. And this kind of represents um, the bron- the brond, the wand that the good Bridget uses to make vegetables grow. So it's that kind of idea of growth and fertility and and, and yeah. new life. I again, I've never heard of these. I'm just doing a quick Google search. There are some. Uh, well, now my my Etsy is going to have lots of adverts for them. Yeah, there's yeah. some incredible like there's some amazing ones. Um, we'll kind of talk about that the the corn dolly a bit more when we come to the processions. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's quite, in, the, the corn dolly is quite involved in that. And I don't know why it's put here and it's not actually put in with the possessions. It's just put here, but the corn dolly is actually quite often put into that special seat that's set aside. So it's a symbol. It symbolizes, um, Bridget. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned this before on, on numerous episodes. Folklore has two favorite numbers. Um, and we're going to talk about one of them and it's <laughs> the number three, number three, <laughs> number three. I don't know why, but quite regularly the number three appears you do things three times and on the third time the the good thing or or the thing that you're trying to do happens and here um we have the number three appearing and basically a family member would take on the role of bridget so rather than it being this kind of idea that the spirit of bridget would would come and visit you a family member would actually take on the role of bridget and walk around your house again sunrise Mm-hmm. Um, three times, um, carrying some reeds or rushes, get to the front door and then knock on the door, ask to come in, 
be refused, knock on the door, ask to come in, be refused, and guess what happens on the third time when you do it? So we do have an opening. (laughs) Yeah, and then you get let in. (laughs) It's kind of like, I guess in a way, it's kind of like that person, I guess in some way you can think of folklore doing these rule of threes, it's perseverance, try, 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 and again, like the Mm. spider building the web seven times. The other special number in folklore is seven, but that has magical connotations where this is literally just you repeat something three times and it happens usually. Mm. On, on that third time, the person is let in, then you have the meal, um, and the rushes that the person was carrying around are turned into either the corn dolly, they are turned into um, and made into the bed that is for Bridget, or they are turned into the cross, the Bridget cross, which is another major connection to Bridget and Ireland itself. And not just Ireland and this. It is a very common image that you will see in a fuck ton of folk horror movies. If you think of folk horror movies, when you see those yeah. Reed and Russia, Rush um, crosses, where it's literally just a, a cross where the, the, the arms are even and it's surrounded by other Reeds and Rushes, it's kind of similar to the Bridget Cross. Um, it's the most. It is one of the most famous symbols within like the Gaelic um, festivals. It's made from the rushes. It's woven into a four-armed four cross where each arm is the same length, and the center is a square. And sometimes you do see it where they have surrounded mm-hmm. the 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 crosses and turned it into a circle as well. And you see that quite regularly in yes. weird folk folk horror movies. Um, man, nowadays you don't generally see like if you go onto Google and search this, you'll just see the traditional cross. Um, you can occasionally you'll see um, like three pronged crosses, um, but it's generally four pronged and it's just usually um, a square in the middle. Sometimes it looks like a diamond, so if you actually do it up as a cross, you'll see a, a diamond in the middle where, rather than a square. Sometimes it's a square. And these now, even nowadays, these are quite popular to make on Inbox. Um, if you go onto Instagram and search like Inbox on Instagram you'll see thousands of bridged crosses being made and corn dollies being made. These are usually um, hung above doors, windows and stables to welcome in Bridget. Um, and they're for, used, used for protection against fire, lightning and evil spirits because the cross is always used to protect evil spirits. But fire and lightning is that connection with Bridget herself. And you are meant to leave them up for the full year between one inbox to, to, to the next inbox. Now, why is this weird cross connected to Bridget? Um, Well, let's go down another weird possible force together of ideas between Christianity and paganism. Um, Legend has it, the cross comes from St. Bridget weaving it um, as she was sat at the deathbed of a pagan, I put pageant here, (laughs) pagan chieftain. Uh, and in true church propaganda style here, the uh, the pagan chieftain asked Bridget what she was doing, uh, and, and she told him the story of the cross. And so well, what was it, on, on, as, as his deathbed, he, he converted to Christianity and was baptised because he heard the story and he believed it. Oh, okay. Oh, she must have, heard yeah, she must have been like the world's best storyteller. Story. <laughs> yeah. It's this yeah. thing that happens in, in a lot in kind of Christian folklore around that time, like especially if you look at some of the Viking stuff going on uh, and the Dane law, or if you go into France and look at Charlie Mange, 
he just basically went around smacking people over the head and baptizing them a lot of the stories do end up with with pagan things like this they end up with them being he- hearing the story of christ and converting but it wasn't always as simple as oh here's a story you're converted and like that there was a lot of violence involved like charlie manji um i never actually know how to say his name but like the french bloke who basically brought christianity to most of europe basically went around and knocked people out and converted them and said you're now a christian um there's a lot of horrible stuff that went on with that but yeah so that's kind of one of the stories that kind of connects Mm -hmm. her to the cross um and so we come to whether we know that she visited the house or not so you've done all this you've done all the meal and prep and made the corn dolly and you've made your bridged cross and you've set everything up and you've gone to bed and you've, you've given her a special bed how do you know that she visited you you do a bit of fire divination or not so much fire divination um but you get to play with the ashes of the fire so it's still fucking cold at this time of the year so you're still gonna have a fire in the hearth and with bridget's connection to the hearth um it was kind of thought that they, if you when you cleaned the fire out and you clean the ashes from the fire from the night before if there was a mark of some kind, and now I put mark here in inverted commas. In quotation how marks. How the fuck yeah, do I you see a mark like, okay. in ashes? Mm. And what kind of mark? Mm. People see all um, sorts, don't they? Yeah. It literally spells <laughs> mark out mark in big letters. <laughs> Sign. You have been visited by yeah, mark. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, so a mark is left, <laughs> of some, some kind of mark is left in the ashes. Uh, it is a sign that Bridget has visited your 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 house during the night. Um, if there was no mark, then you're basically going to have bad fortune um, for the year. There is a way to stop bad fortune. Um, basically, you got to kill a chicken uh, or a cockerel. It's, it's specified oh. as a cockerel. You've got to bury a cockerel at the meeting of how many rivers? I'm guessing it's going to be a three. Yep. Three rivers. You got to bury a cockerel under th- uh, the meeting of three rivers, and then in the evening you got to burn incense in the fire where um, you saw where you didn't see a mark. Um, I, got, I got to be honest. That sounds like a lot of effort to find. Three that's rivers. not as much effort as some things you'd have to do. No, I know, I know, but like, I, I feel like you'd be sweeping out and you go, "Any? Can you see any mark, love?" And you go. Fuck, fuck, and then you just go, uh, yes, yes, there's a look at, yeah, look at tiny, yeah, just, just no, 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 you've ruined it, you've oh, moved it now, no. stop sweeping. Oh, no, well, I guess, well, I guess there was a mark, so we'll be okay. We don't need to go traipsing yeah. over hill and dale to find three rivers that intersect. <laughs> like, the, the best, the, yeah, like if you actually look at some of the ways that this, this is actually written, some of it say you rake the ashes, and some of them say you brush the ashes. Ooh. It's like, well, if you think about rakes and you think about brushes, especially the ones that would have been used in villages and things, they're going to leave marks because they're not exactly gentle. going to clear it all up. So you're going to see marks. So it's going, it's kind of a guaranteed thing you're going to see, unless you're really like got a really fine tooth, small little brush, and you kind of try to sweep up every little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. No, I guess it, yeah, it's just I guess it's always like here's a way out, but the way out often, as you've described, is a lot more difficult than ever. So you just have to go, yeah. well, and it, yeah, I know all this stuff, as we've said, is all up for interpretation anyway. But I definitely would be like, yep, got it, got the mark, 
hands, you know, hands clean. Right. <laughs> Good luck yeah. for the rest of the year. Hurrah for us. Huzzah. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that like different different areas would have like specific marks that you'd have to see or something. And I didn't look into this part of it too much because I wanted to talk about other things, but too much. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I was, in, I, I kind of am intrigued as if there is a specific mark. And if anybody does know if it's a specific mark or anything, because I can't be bothered to look it up, please do let me know. Um, I was sent uh, by a friend an actual, uh, a, a full-on 26-page research paper on Inbox, and it's probably in there somewhere. Um, but I've got okay. enough of my own research papers to read that. I didn't read that. <laughs> I like the idea that it's, it's like, it's like, B was here, XO, XO, XO. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now, so we've had a little bit of weird folk horror stuff, kind of like the the the, the cross and talked about the corn dollies. Oh, I I have to be honest, the corn dolly creeps me the fuck out. Like just just yeah. I, We're now going to go into the really creepy connection okay. with the corn dolly. Blah. Yeah. Um. So this is the procession of Bridget. This is when it kind of does lean into that folk horror aspect quite well. Um, and you can kind of you can kind of imagine things like midsummer and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, and their 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 weird celebrations and stuff. Um, I don't know why I put this, and I can't remember. I, there was a reason why I wrote this, and I can't remember why I wrote this. I put Guy Fawkes Night, but with Bridget. I presume I'm not quite have, sure why I wrote that. I presume it, because... you must burn some sort of effigy, right? Oh. No, okay, ignore me. That was me assuming. The uneducated. I, I think, I think it was me kind of making that connection with the the corn dolly and as the a fact guy processing with it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And so you like you'd process with the guy, but it's just you don't burn it at the end. You actually do good things with it at the end, mm-hmm. or, or treat it well rather than burn the guy at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So here we get um, it's, this is again mainly Scotland and Ireland. You make the small doll out of the rushes and reeds. Um, so you're doing a procession and through the village or the town where you are. Um, and the, the condoli is dressed in cloth flowers and sometimes shells if you're on the beach. Mm-hmm. It is more, this, this version of the condoli, rather than the one we talked about before, is known as the Briogd or Breedyog or Breedhog or Biddy. Again, pronunciations, me. Um... And it was specifically paraded around the villages and towns by girls and young women. They all. This is where it starts to get a little bit I, weird. Yeah, I, 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 I read this bit and bit. I was like, frowny face from Fiona. <laughs> yes, this. this <laughs> you can understand why this might be co-opted by certain groups. Uh, yes, a hundred percent. So it is. It is parade. It is specifically paraded around by girls and young women. Um, they all wore white and had their hair down in symbols of youth and purity. Mm. They are singing hymns to Bridget, and they visit every house along the way, singing these hymns. Um, so in, in villages, you can probably see that's that's not too bad. Think about towns, doing it in towns, I can think of bloody ages. Yeah, I guess um, I, but yeah, for me... The image of these girls, these young girls, so these would... Um, if you think about when this kind of came from, a young woman would have been considered 14, 15, and 16. That's mm-hmm. marriageable age. Mm-hmm. And so these are very, what we would consider very young children walking around being presided and processed as images of youth and purity mm-hmm. and beauty. Um, and this is also a goddess of fertility. Yes. 
Absolutely. It's well. It's kind of the, the what I draw as a sort of semblance for it. So firstly, two things. So the first thing is always like I didn't realize having your hair down was a sense like of youth and purity, especially because now that I, I, I since you've known me, Dave, obviously I've I've had quite short hair, and then through let's say pandemic issues, I've grown it out a little bit. Um, but then I've always tied it up for it out of ease and stuff. So it, it, it's never really occurred to me that sort of like the way it sort of is looked like down makes me well people more youthful anyway long hair but then going on to it like you're saying like this idea of youthfulness and fertility and stuff like we see it in the media quite a bit as well like there's always there's this big argument uh how this is what i connected to like the newsreaders there's at a certain point uh there aren't any older female newsreaders anymore uh because they're they're not seen as oh well they're not as good or whatever which is obviously not true at all but there's been a big backlash about it and it's so interesting even on breakfast news shows when they have a duo the the man is usually a lot older and visibly more aged than the the younger mm. people and we've talked about it as well in sort of the improv circles as well when people are going for shows and stuff and they and they've gone oh I actually didn't bother going for that show I'm too old for it and I'm like you're 35 what are you talking about and they're like I just that's just the way it is and it's it's just such a big thing for for women and I know it's a big thing for all these things this idea of youth mm. and young girls and stuff like that I just but it's, I didn't realize how prevalent it was. Until reading like stuff like this, it's just very, it's just very yeah. fa- fascinating because obviously that's so against what I feel about everything. But it's just yeah, interesting. Um, the other connection you can kind of draw with that is young young people, because um, there are there are there are stories and and connect and places where the boys were also allowed to do this. Ninety percent of the time it was girls, but there are there are times when girls were uh, boys were allowed to do this, but it was always the young. Mm-hmm. because it's the birth of the new year it's bringing in that vitality and the youth and the young have a vitality of life and excitement and, and, mm-hmm. and, and the progress and are looking forward and so this is why one of the connections you can put through with it um, the interesting thing about the hair being let down mm-hmm. um, they're carefree when, you, when you're carefree your yeah. hair is down and it's blowing free in the wind when you're a worker and you've got long hair you have to tie it back because it gets fucking everywhere. Yeah, yeah. You and I so both know this. <laughs> tying, yeah, yeah. So tying your hair back as an adult is yeah. to keep it out of the way. But as a child, you don't need to because it's not going to get in the way of anything. So mm. hair down is a symbol of of youth. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, my hair is currently down at the moment because it gets really annoying when it's tied up on this chair. Um, <laughs> also keeps my head warmer, but usually it's tied up. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, all right. So where are we? Um, I think we're nearly towards the end. We're nearly towards the end of this. Yes, I, I mentioned that it's kind of a little bit like the Mary Lude, um, <laughs> because when they, when they go when these people go to the houses, they do get they do receive food or decoration um, in a kind of less creepy version of the Mary Lloyd, um, who gets beer from a rap battle, hmm. basically, and there's less dead horses as well. <laughs> but yeah, so at the end at the end of the procession, the girls. And, and the women generally go to a house uh, where they would have a feast um, to celebrate Bridget, and they would put the breed, breedog, uh, breedhog, bridehog, brid, biddy. Biddy. I'm going to call it biddy. Biddy, biddy. <laughs> um, and it would, be, it would be set in a place of honour, so it'd kind of be like at the head of the table, um, and they would um, feed it all the best food and the best drink and stuff, and it would be set out there. Now, just to make what people are probably thinking, if you've never heard of any of this before, is they're thinking you're processing around with this this representation of, of Bridget. You're probably thinking it's probably quite big. It, it sounds. No, it's about six yeah. inches tall. 
Really? Because it sounds it sounds terrifying. In my head, I've made it to be like like I said, a six foot like thing with glowing red eyes that turns its head when no one's looking. Uh, well, but that that would be terrifying. But what's even more terrifying is you're sat there on a table, probably with about twelve to fifteen girls, mm-hmm. who are all sat there worshiping a six foot tall corn figurine. Oh, six six inch, not foot. Six, six inch. inch. Yes. Six yeah, inch. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So they're literally like a corn Barbie doll. Is sat at the end of the table. Yeah, that, that is... to me is slight. Is probably more creepy than a six foot tall. It's condo. I guess because obviously, obviously for that procession, obviously it is just one. But it's that sort of question of like, would you rather a six foot one biddy or a six inch many biddies? <laughs> <laughs> Which one would you rather find? Next year, biddy also mean or used to mean old lady. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I. <laughs> So I just, I just, uh... Yeah, these six-inch many biddies going, like just going, fuck off, fuck off, like hitting you with the handbags. Massive stereotype there, but. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that, that's my that's my image now. But of that table, yeah. that there, if they are that small, that there are many of them, and if you anger them, no, they no, just no, all. There's only do. one. But, oh. There's usually there's usually only one, which rules the table. So you've got this six-inch. Corn Barbie doll sat at the end of the table, like a, like a don, essentially. <laughs> Which, actually, if you think about it, many many children um, nowadays play with dolls and play with toys, and they'll sit around and have tea parties with them in a weird plastic version of this festival on a daily basis. Well, then they're like, "What's that?" Okay, they say they don't want you to come to tea parties anymore. Nope. You're not allowed the special drinks anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I see that. I see that completely. Dolls were a different thing. Like, I've, I, I've always heard they were the vessels of uh, dead children. You know, we put the souls in. And that's why when you see Victorian gravestones or, or, or mausoleums, if there's a, a porcelain doll in there, that's where the soul yeah. is. Which I'm like, you know what? No. 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, enough about dolls, because that's not important to this. No, no, we've got one more thing to talk about the doll. Okay, let's go back. Go, 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 go. There's one more thing to say about the the, the corn dolly, and then we'll talk about merrymaking. Okay. Um, So, yeah, so they they put it, obviously, the the dolly is in the the head position of the table. It's Bridget, so it sits at the head of the table. Um, But then, obviously, the night comes to an end, the meal comes to an end, and so what do you need to do? You need to go to bed. And so they take the dolly to bed, they tuck it in, and they sing it lullabies to send it to sleep. Which to me, again, is really fucking creepy. A bunch of girls sat around the bed, tucking in a six-inch corn dolly and singing lullabies for it to go to sleep. There is something... Again, this is why I'm instantly going to these dark rooms in these old barn houses on a cold winter night where these girls are just the moonlight is shining through there's like one or two candles lit in the room and they're all just sat there in their arms together gleeful looks on their face singing lullabies to this really creepy fucking doll in a bed but and I don't. It's not. It's not like a baby's bed. It's a proper full-size animal's bed. And that's that that's take. why I'm like, as a as a six-footer, that's terrifying. As a as it feels, yeah, it almost feels like a big disconnect if it's only six inches. Because uh, that that bed's just massive. As a result, for me, for me, I think the, the scary image to me is the fact that it is only a small doll. I would be less. I would find it less creepy if it was a larger doll because there's something more human about it. It's more human-sized. There's something more realistic about it. Whereas a six-inch thing, 
that is disconnected from humanity. There is something more spiritual or more ethereal or otherworldly about a small creature. I just, I just, because I, I just envision stuff like, um, well, you know what it reminds me of in a way is that. Like, well, no, 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 um, no, no, like, just uh, to throw out a curveball. No, 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 um, Children of the Corn. That sort of... I watched that the other day. Oh, oh brilliant. Such a good I've not, film. Seen, I've not seen it for ages. I've forgotten how good it was. He wants you, I've just, Malachi. I've just heard the picture of oh, that, that Just that line, he wants you, Malachi. It's just... Oh, anyway, but that whole... Yeah, that, again, that whole sort of... Uh, again, talking about that sort of uh, worship and that sort of going to it. And again, not seeing what's in the corn. But that, for me... That and just the way sometimes you see scarecrows put in sort of RPGs and and and, mm. and films like you know, they that that's how I see it as the more terrifying like that. But it's interesting, yeah. Like you said, the smaller aspect of it, it can really. I guess it it almost has, has that sense that false sense of security and like oh, it's not as yeah. bad as it could be. So that's it's interesting you think it like that. So yeah. it's a, you have to it, ha- it throws up a different way to perceive the thing. You have yeah. to perceive it in a different way because you can't. A, a human-sized thing, you can put human emotions and, and connectivity with it because it's it's a natural size. Mm-hmm. There's something you can innately connect with on a psychological level because it's, it's human size. So you can kind of get beyond things. Where if it's a s- small, it's it's not human size, and you can't put as much on the features, and it becomes more of a blank slate. Um. But anyway, so yeah, they they put it to bed basically, and they've done all this, and you've got they've got this weird thing that you can. We we, we I'm just giving basically the RPG chart of this is basically take all these ideas and throw them into games. Much, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, after this, um, and they put it to bed. This is where we can actually kind of weirdly see connections to May Day in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not specifically stated a lot of this, but. I think it's kind of slightly implied. Um, so after the meal is finished and the, the the Bridget doll is put to sleep, the girls come down and the men knock on the door or the young boys knock on the door and politely ask for permission to enter. And then they go up to go up to either where 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 Bridget was sat or they go up to the bedroom and they make pledges and promises promises to the doll um oh weird yeah so but it's done separately it's never done it's most of the time done separately between the boys and the girls Mm -hmm. um but once that has happened and they've they've made their pledges and promises to bridget um they then come down and you start the again in quotation marks merrymaking yeah (laughs) and it is it is generally put down as merrymaking or the festivities Mm. Um, where I would guess with this being the start of the year, you, um, if I'm kind of taking things from other, other things that I know, I guess there would be a big feast where you're, you're, you're going to finish off a lot of the food from the year that yeah. if you're now looking at, you go, well, it's the beginning of the year, it's the planting season. We're going to have new crops soon. So we can finish off a lot of the winter stores and stuff and get rid of all this kind of stuff. And well, it's a new year, so let's celebrate everything and uh, have a few drinks. And uh, well, we're all young, and it's a goddess of fertility. And there, there's a maypole, but it's not May Day. And yeah, I kind of I can see a connection there. I don't. It's never really specifically from the mm-hmm. stuff that I said. There's no doesn't seem to be a specific connection to that idea. Mm-hmm. But I do always get this kind of feeling of this undercurrent there 
of that. Um, but basically, yeah, they send Bridget to bed after everyone said, yay, please, please be good to me and, and give me a good year. And then they go down and have a big fucking party. That's, that's such um, a bugger, isn't it? You've been sent, you like, okay, I'm off to bed. And then they're all like, woohoo. Like, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, just send the, the, the goddess of, of, of good stuff to bed and then go off and be a bad person. Without basically. her there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, seems a bit... Uh, I think that was all of the customs related to it. Yeah. I've got a few other notes on here. Basically, as I've already said, uh, it's going to be made a, ho- a national holiday in Ireland from 2023. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm guessing you'd probably see some processions around the towns and villages like we used to do in St. George's Day uh, in the old days of England, the 1980s. Not going to talk about St. George's Day. Nope. I didn't actually mention this before. But there is some people who try to create a connection to Candlemas. Mm-hmm. Now, whenever I think of Candlemas, I don't think of Candlemas that most people think of Candlemas. I think of an amazing like, Swedish doom metal band, mm-hmm. Candlemas. They're like one of my favourite bands. Um, but Candlemas is a Catholic festival known as the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus Christ or the Feast of the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary or the Feast of the Holy Encounter. There's a lot of names for it. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's when Jesus gets presented to the temple, and it's a it's a festival related to that. Um, the only real connection between Candlemas and Imbolc is basically the date, and that it could it's uh, Candlemas is a purification festival, mm-hmm. and Imbolc this kind of connections to purification to some extent. Um, but it's basically a few monks in the 16th century tried to kind of force Candlemas onto Imbolc and, and make this connection. And right. they also tried to make a connection to the Roman festival of Lupercalia mm-hmm. um, because of this purification. And another word that they use is purging. Um, now, my, 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 my instant there was like, I'm not sure the Romans' idea of purging and the Christians' idea of purging are the same. No, I think they're like polar opposites. Um, especially when you're talking about festivals. Yes, agreed. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll look at, I will go into one day, look at some of the Lupicalia and the, the Roman festivals because they're quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Lupicalia is a festival for Lupercus, I've not written down the name, uh, Lupercus, there we go who is the Roman god of fertility. So we can actually see a connection within Bolk there because mm-hmm. of the connection to Brigid as a goddess of fertility um, and is also the goddess, uh, a god of shepherds. Uh, Lupercalia was held in, in February. Um, it's kind of more mid-February um, and it was generally used as a way to purify the city to promote the health and fertility of the city and the new growth because of the new year, blah, 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 blah. Um, and this is kind of originally where we get the name February from as well, because the festival was originally called Februa, mm-hmm. and it means purifications or purgings. Um, and so there are connections there because of the purifications to Candlemas, and we can kind of make, you can make connections to Imbolc, but I'm not sure that there are connections to Imbolc if you're taking that historical point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a roundabout way, yeah, there's there's three festivals there that are kind of connected, but maybe not. Mm. But yeah, so there you go. There's a there's a kind of a. I think that's been about two hour chat about him. Yeah, r- roughly about an hour and forty minutes. But I think all of it, like you said, they're all interesting things to pluck from in terms of story wise and stuff. So I mm. I came up 
when when we talked about them, when I had looked through the notes, I so I've come up with three sort of RPG systems as suggestions. I've heard of one of those. Excellent. Uh, and but like uh, like I think what I've just written down again, just as we're talking about it. So this idea of the three. So you talked about before about the three sisters or something like that. So uh, you know NPCs. Are oh yeah, there's maybe. another three in there, isn't there? The, the three aspects. Of yeah, exactly. The... So whether or not again, so the, from so if I was going for like. What could I include in my RPG games as a as a a nod to it? So I thought like you could have NPCs that are like just three sisters, all have the same name. Um, they don't have to look alike or anything like that. Uh, I love I love anything that's so something about milk because obviously that we've got the idea of used milk. So I just thought just have milk as a drink that's just everywhere and just make a, just say it all the time. And they'll be oh, what can I get from it? Like, oh, there's a lot of milk. <laughs> just talk about that. <laughs> Uh, it's the beginning of springtime we've got lots of milk yeah um another npc i thought of just as you were talking about this idea of a, of a famous wet nurse so like just an npc that you just sort of meet going through town and then just happens to have a, like a maybe like a royal connection or like a, a connection to a bigger up thing and the connection is that yeah. they are this sort of nanny or a wet nurse or something like, again you don't really hear much about that sort of thing in rpgs i don't think so it's no. quite interesting um i love a good weather change i think obviously Weather change is such a cool way to describe the mood of any RPG, and so like taking time to do that is quite good. What I liked about this idea of the weather change is the the turning on the head of the ideas. Exactly. When you usually see the fact that it's a sunny day, which means it's going to be longer, cold, and wet. Mm-hmm. So you could, I think, that would be a really fun idea to bring into games, and and we would play quite well on on people's ideas because people go, ah. So it's wet, so therefore it's going to continue being wet. It's like, ah, no. Yeah, no, no. I, I think that's because that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And that, that's always the way I always think. So with all these festivals, and as a, it always comes across, like uh, like you said, like, uh, with, um, take, for example, like the Wicker Man. Uh, I know obviously that's not necessarily about Imolk per se, but this idea that it's around a certain festival, it must be bad because it's, all, you know, and we talked about that affording mm. of a certain agenda. What I think is quite interesting is when you get those sort of, like you talked about this interesting custom. So like what I wrote down was that the idea of making a bed that's such an interesting custom and i just love the idea mm. that adventurers or wh- whoever your players are they stumble along a barn at some point and they just find like a really nice made bed there's a big you know, there's always an argument like who's going to take it somebody takes it and in the morning like oh, what have you done you've slept in you know because that, that's yeah. such a innocuous thing a kind of weird cultural faux pas exactly yeah so i think going into the game like, randomly. I, I do think like maybe the pers- again this is just something that's off, off the offside obviously any per- parades with like corn dollies i think obviously 100 percent you have to put those in your rpg games because that's weird as but i think that's maybe that's for me maybe a bit too obvious but stuff like the bed i actually thought that was quite cool yeah but i'll quickly just it's it's like the the whole idea of not just the bed but the 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 saving the space at the table is also a really nice thing to bring in every now and then because you do that in a lot you can can, like i've seen people bring into rpgs um a lot but it's usually a really creepy thing that they've done like it's it's a lost family member or there's yes. a ghost up there or something but this one is just a purely reverential thing yeah I, there's I, nothing it's interesting. really technically creepy about it it's just you set a space for your god yeah and I think bringing in that kind of idea just every now and then as a kind of a background to the game I was gonna say. to expand that world that you live in the story is not all about the PCs and what they do. It's about building a world I, and having yeah. those little hints like that. I, I really... actually really love that idea that, you know, because obviously you introduce it that there are seven places at the table and there's only six of you there. And 
play over like Instantly people's heads are like what the fuck yeah exactly and just having that because obviously that's, there's always the paranoid player stereotype isn't it or whatever but i just love that as a as a thing you do it all the time in this village or the series of towns or, or wherever your your players are visiting and it's just like a known thing and it's not creepy and stuff but the players will take it in because obviously it's like well there must be something why would you mention it otherwise and i rather that like you said rather than it for being horror purpose making it as part of the culture making it part as a it's a traditional thing. I think that's just such an interesting way of looking at it. So, yeah. so I'll, I'll quickly just talk about the three RPGs I've suggested. Um, so the first one I've suggested is an unknown one as an RPG itself. It's a one-page one-shot. The, play, the, the player, the, the writer, the designer itself is pretty famous in most indie oh, okay, RPGs. I know the name. Yeah, Grant Howitt, who, um, of, most people will know him for writing Honey Heist, but he uh, does this thing... It's such a good game. And this one is also equally a good game. Um, I, I've chosen Little Helpers by Grant Howitt. Um, and I'll just quickly explain the one-page one-shots. Uh, every month or so, Grant will write a brand new game that just fits onto one page and you can buy them for, for on on the Rowan, Rowan Rook and Descartes website or you can support them on Patreon. Um, they're, mostly what they're... What we'll are... trying to do, just as a thing, we'll try and, if, if you can send me them, we'll put all the links for these these RPGs, yes. either through Trithor RPG or... Uh, io or whatever they come on and we'll put them in yeah. the I, I think i think the, the, little, the little helpers one i think is now uh pay what you want on the website so because mm. it, it is only just one page and i will say most grand howard games they usually are an animal does something uh yeah. <laughs> which is no bad thing it's just always quite funny when you think that but little helpers uh, essentially and it's it's basically it says uh, you are a demon not one of the big ones you're a demonic familiar bound by powerful magics to help the most evil and deprived wizards of, in history. Uh, you're a foot tall. I'm liking it already. A twisted mockery of God's creation, and you are get, you're ready to get evil in capitals. And then it goes, except, well, there's this new mistress you've got. She seems oh, a God, bit... Has he turned Enchanted into an RPG? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> oh. uh, you, you seem a, she seems a bit nice question mark she's barely evil at all there must have been some mix-up at the occult library and out there somewhere a gaunt-eyed necromancer must be using enchanted rabbits to help out his blood rituals anyway you're you're stuck helping her and trying to avoid leaking evil everywhere until she does so and basically you have been summoned to help this uh, good witch and some of the stuff you can do is um, find your mistress a date for the harvest festival so you could do it for the imult festival um getting preparing a, a impressive meal for the boss or people that are visiting so anything like that what i love as the main mechanic is that anytime you act you roll 3d6 and you add them together and you get special abilities as well like you know you can actually add an extra d6 and discard the lowest yada 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 but uh was it did you do any dice that shows a six? You have to set it aside, and to achieve a task in general, it's got to score ten or more. Uh, but if you roll one six, uh, your actions draw evil into the world. Something small and spiteful. If you roll two sixes, a major evil manifests, and if three, you roll three sixes, the devil turns up and he is pissed off. So it's the idea of get any time you act, you keep rolling, and it's that idea that more chaos is out. You're trying to fix things, almost like. Uh, faulty towers esque everything is going wrong because you you have to be good you're like i am good i've got to help this person and you're like oh no 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 fire 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 <laughs> it's like running around oh shit my boss is here <laughs> exactly so I, I quite liked how it is it's about good so that idea of like okay so it, like another one which i quite liked uh is that you look after your mistress's boisterous new puppies all six of them uh so anything like that is quite yeah. i just anything nice 
and that sort of bringing back the light and being good but you as a as a player all you can do is like eh, eh, be evil that's all i know <laughs> so so i think I, that, that uh, could be a really like a really good thing to play with like with involved because it's like it is an inherently good festival but you've just turned up and your boss has said well, you're an evil person, so therefore you've got to be doing evil. And you could you could be doing that, trying to help all these kids, but you're seeing instantly, this is really fucking creepy folk horror shit. I should not be helping them making this nice, wonderful bed and laying out these wonderful flowers and making exactly. this nice cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, this this good and proper in quotation marks. It's like, <laughs> oh no, fuck, what the fuck. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I just, I just, yeah, I. I when we've, I've only played it once on on the one of my rolling podcasts, and it was just one person, and it was and we got someone a date for the Harvest Festival, which didn't turn the date wasn't very good, like the person themselves. So in the end, the 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 player was like to to the witch was like, "You deserve better," and that was just the best ending to that that one shot. But it is one of my favorite ones, and I will say this is it's a B side of um of the Witch is Dead, which is another. RPG, which is also a great uh, yeah. thing, but yeah, Little Helpers was my first choice there. Yeah. So, like most of Grand Howard stuff, I think you can apply to a lot of things because because it's that one page idea. Yes, there's so much freedom in what you can do with them. They're kind of so open world that you can you can run with your ideas. Exactly. Uh, I do have this. I I do have a plan to at some point do a lasers and feelings hack for folk folklore um, oh that would be amazing and that's that's again it's a wonderful system and it's a one-page rpg and it's just the original game is star trek with the numbers pulled off um but yeah well there, there's now a tv program star star trek below decks which mm. is basically what lasers and feelings is oh is it that's pretty yeah. cool i like that uh, so yeah, my... so uh, your next one, this is the one that I have heard of. Yes, so this one, I've only discovered this fairly recently, is Quest. I've never played it. Yeah, Quest RPG by Adventure Guild. Um, it was a Kickstarted one a couple of years back, and yeah. they've only, they've just announced, that was the sort of the fantasy version, they're now doing a science, science fiction version. Um, to describe it to people who do know RPGs, it is essentially like a D20 system mixed in with sort of the powered by the apocalypse sort of uh, playbooks idea. So you, instead of having... Uh, like uh, a character sheet that you sort of make out, you have like a, a playbook per se, and you'll have certain uh, tracks that you can get points on essentially. And what I love about the system is that you roll a d20, everyone loves rolling dice. Um, basically over a six, you succeed. Uh, and then there's levels of success obviously, but that's the best thing is that you, it's very unlikely you will fail. If you do fail, then there's consequences, but it's like, it's pushing the story forward. And that's what I really like about, that game it's kind of yeah it's, it's so if anybody watched the stream it's the same system that we used salvage in salvage union yeah. not salvage Land, that's a different, <laughs> as a different one yeah exactly that and it's a great it's a great system that you can apply anything for and that's kind of why i chose it because i feel with quest mm. itself they have these like i said the the, the playbooks or the classes or, or i can't remember what the term terminology is you could pick them and then you can adapt it to having a festival type yeah. thing or all, all, all these sort of things and bringing back the light you know appeasing goddesses and stuff like that i think that's yeah. why it's such a nice malleable system that you can create your own world right and it's straightforward like yeah. the, the any you, you like i said you only ever roll one, one d20 yeah one d20 which you know for some people they're like oh i'm not i want to roll all these different kinds of dice but if you're just starting out and you're not a big fan of dungeon dragons and that's totally fine if you're not into math because yeah, it's because... one life and there's no modifiers to no. the dice roll at all. And it, that's that's the beauty of it. You you 
I feel like sometimes with RPGs, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you know, some people absolutely doing this thing called min-maxing, obviously creating characters that are very good at specific things and all, all whatever, and that's cool. If you're brand new to it and you just want to have a go, you know, that's what the beauty about rolling a d20 and just going, oh, I got a, a six. I, I just barely passed. But then you could be a really good character. You'd be like, I am very charismatic. I can talk to people. But it doesn't, doesn't matter how good you think you are. It's just purely on dice rolls, which makes it feel more... Yeah real life so yeah i i absolutely love quests it's become one of my favorite ones to to run and to introduce new people to because i think you can just do so much with it but what what i for me what kind of connects me to um the quest system is it, i think it works in certain settings for me personally I, I i can see it falling down in quite a lot of ways in other in certain settings absolutely. as well um, but what it does is, for me, it, it sets the scene for moving to games run by Powered by the Apocalypse Systems. Yes. Which is a it, basically the same idea. You're rolling to get above a certain number, and there's an idea of what's called a fail forward, where you're, you, you kind of succeed, but there's a massive consequence to it. So like you do manage to pick the lock on the door, but the door falls off and makes a crashing sound. And so the you guards know the you're door, there. Yeah. But everybody now knows you're fucking there. Exactly. Um, and so um, it's a very, very much a stripped back version of that. And so for people who are really looking for this kind of storytelling aspect and a really simple game just to kind of go through it, it's a good thing. It's, a, it's kind of a little bit like in a way, the the Year Zero engine of Free League, where it's exactly just that. you roll a number of dice and every dice, uh, and you just basically have to get a six, um, and the number of six, one six, is a success. That's it. You, there's no real maths involved. It's roll dice, and if you get a six, it's fine. It's match, yeah, matching up the symbols essentially. Yeah. So, yeah. So um, yeah, and so yeah. So there's t- those are two different ones, obviously. Little little helpers is definitely one page where you can make it specific and you are evil. Whereas quest is a little bit more open that you can set up the world, uh, and it's just easy to get into. And so it's like it's, yeah. I, it would be, I would say, my get up and go system for anything. If I if I had an idea for something, I'd probably write it so that it could be played by quest first. I think. Yeah. Yeah, um, and then finally, just to quickly round off. So the third one is an interesting choice. I think um, it's because it's a game. I have very I know, the, I know the writers, but I don't yeah. know the game. So it's actually I don't, based... know, I don't personally know the writers. I was going to say, I'm like, David, you're so so popular. In the... <laughs> yeah, I'm not that big in the RPG. So, yeah, so um, I I've picked Mouse Guard, the RPG, uh, by Luke Crane and David Peterson. Now, Mouse Guard originally is a comic, uh, and it's, it dictates a sort of this world of mice in a fa- sort of fantasy land, and it has this whole beautiful campaign setting and this idea of this boundary and the, it keeps the the wilds out and all this sort of thing it's an amazing world but it's really bloody wholesome <laughs> so um it's the idea that again the reason i picked it was because of the the setting there is certain when, when i tried it for the podcast one of the starting adventures was that winter has now thawed and you need to go to to different outposts delivering the mail it's not about fighting it's not about uh, defeating evil it's about you doing your own job and this idea of everyday life so that idea like again coming into spring and trying out new things but also you're just getting on with stuff and going along with the customs as mice mm. and the reason i've picked it is because i think like the world setting is really good it's based the system itself i believe it's based on the burning wheel rpg system which is against lots of d6s 
uh, and getting those right. The combat aspect of it, if should you ever get into combat, is very interesting. So there's various different like opposing tests and stuff like that. So it can get quite complicated. But what I quite liked about it is that um, you and the DM, everyone has a set of like free cards essentially, or a set of cards, and and they have actions on each one. And so the DM has one, and the players have one, and then you go, okay, we're fighting in this combat, and the players will go first and put down a card uh, down, and you and you would do as the doing the enemies and then it's basically like a rock paper scissors you'd match up going okay well you go first and it's this kind of test and stuff like that and it's just it's, it's a very advanced version of it and it t- took a while to get my head around it but i quite like that as a different way of sorting out combat is instead of going i hit and do stuff it's all like oh you're defending oh i it's like it's like a Yu-Gi-Oh in a sense like, oh you activated my card in in, in trap mode <laughs> you know but i think the gathering is an rpg yeah, for the combat aspect as well. But yeah, I think the, I think if you wanted to play, uh, if you wanted to do something about festivals and the like, the dangers of something not going right. So that the whole point of that mouse guards quest was that you had to get the mail to these outposts because they were, you know people were away from home and someone was waiting for a letter from their partner who'd gone over to the next outpost and they'd not arrived and all that sort of thing. And the idea of like good luck and bad luck and you are bringing good luck to these people so i know it's a bit of a tangent per se but i do quite i just thought the mouse guard itself was just such an interesting world and to be able to replicate some of these yeah. festivals in it would be really interesting yeah so you you would be to take the game that you played if you were the postman you would turn up on the day of the festival exactly and exactly. you'd have this 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 problem of well i've got all these letters to deliver but these, these celebrations going on so how do i interrupt the celebrations to deliver these letters so i can then leave the village to travel to the next one mm-hmm. without obviously just bulldozing through a festival and pissing a load of people off exactly and I, that's, I, I, and I think that, that'd be a really interesting way to uh, kind of play it and i'll show i'll show david because i've got the box sit here because i again i've not played it since but Ooh. it's absolutely oh, beautiful it's really sweet so it's absolutely gorgeous again the, it uses the comics from uh as sort of inspiration and then i'll just show david mm. the back of the of the box Ooh. uh you can see they're playing rpgs oh. little mice around the table and stuff it's really sweet it, it is very twee um again yeah. it's one of those games i would i don't know if i'd introduce it to a younger audience per se because there's the 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 world itself is really cute but the the mechanics are a little bit tricky i think but yeah i i absolutely fell in love with the world and uh again what you'll say Un- unhelpful See, for podcasting. You've also got kind of like the, you could play something. What is it? Um, the the mice of Nim or whatever. Exactly. You know what? It's Red very. Ball, it feels stuff like that. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, very similar to that. So I'm again unhelpful for podcasting, but I will get out. This look, this massive fuck off book. Oh my god, that's huge! It's huge of 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 stuff, that's and you, you have obviously. Not- that's not a kid's that it, it, it looks like it's aimed at kids with the art style and becoming from the comic and things. That is not an RPG aimed at kids. No, it's not. And unfortunately, because again, it's so beautiful. But yeah, it has stuff about the weather and it has like oh, like obstacles. Like, like look at that one. Have to find a second edition like, size. Look at, that, look at that little mouse in the snow. Ooh. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> it's unhelpful. But I just unhelpful for anybody who's listening to this. Yes. but is, it's really cute and twee. And do go have a look at do Google. I, uh, I Google Mouse Guard and read some of the comics because they yeah. they are absolutely yeah. fascinating. So yeah, yeah so those. Those were my three um, sort of chosen RPGs. I don't know if David, you had any other RPGs you would suggest for something like this. Well, I, it's probably um, 
for any of the festival. I do have three, and these are going to be the three that will be always suggested for any of the festivals. And, yes. and, and if you know me, and if you've seen any of the games that I do tend to run, that I personally tend to run, um, although I do have a hankering to do some other things, um, my, my, my RPGs tend to be a lot darker and towards that more folk horror aspect of um, or horror aspect of, of role playing. So it's really nice to have Fiona on there on here because she will take it nice and, and, and to the twee aspect. And I like that and I do need more of that in my <laughs> in my life. Um, but I do tend obviously to go to that, that darker side and with this podcast I obviously tell a lot more of the darkest stories and things. Mm-hmm. So the games that I would instantly go to and I'd instantly think of connecting to these festivals because I'd instantly try and look for that folk horror aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I will do the one that is most well-known on this podcast because I talk about it all the fucking time, is Verson. Verson, yes. <laughs> it, 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 it's instantaneously. It's, it's set in the 1800s at a time when there is this folklore revival and in England, we are you, you see this massive revival of of the worship of Pan and the Bacchanalia arising. And so why can we not then change that, take, take the idea of this kind of Bacchanalia, but just shift it into a different festival? So rather than it being Pan and Bacchanalia being being reborn, we're seeing this reborn of these these old Gaelic traditions arriving. And therefore, with this and being especially with the new book coming out, Mythic Tales of Britain and Ireland, mm-hmm. there is a slight shift in the way that... So we've we've seen the alpha. If you back the Kickstarter, we've seen the alpha. Um, we're not allowed to say much about it, um, but there is a slight shift in the way that the verse and are presented because there is a difference in the way, obviously, that folklore creatures in Ireland, England, Ireland and Ireland are different to the Scandic ones. Um, and it does allow us to present these kind of festivals. So we could run a game... Um, where you are investigating an in-bulk festival where you have had these kids have gone around and the, and they are actually, mm. the festival has continued and it's not just been this one night thing and they are now caught in this loop because it's not Bridget that they're actually worshipping but something else has come in and captured them and caught the village in this kind of loop or something. It, it feels very Midwich Cuckoos and Children of the Corn. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, would, I would take it that way. With, with and I would take it that way. Um, 100%. And actually tie it tight really, especially specifically with Verson, I would tie it to the mythology of one wherever you're setting it. So if you're setting it in Ireland, I would really probably tie it into the Tuatha de Danann and, and, and Bridget, the goddess Bridget herself. And maybe it is actually her who's come in, but because she's lacking power, she's also had there maybe have to ask for, for help from the Morrigan and things. You kind of get a connection there. Or it's maybe it's a banshee or something from Ireland that's actually managed to somehow do this and they send it to bed. Um, but then they're all kept up late at night so because of the screaming. So therefore they think they have to keep maybe repeating the ritual to try and put it to sleep. But no, it's actually a fucking banshee that's screaming his head off. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> And so you can kind of get that kind of Victorian folk horror from that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's obviously, the, it's a game that people know about on this thing. It's from Frig League. It's a really simple system. A couple of dice, roll a six, and you, you're fine. But it's all about storytelling and solving a mystery connected to a supernatural creature. Mm-hmm. I have played, um, 
if you listen to the, my other podcast, Arcades Radio, we talk to um, the guys from the Effect podcast, and we, um, we basically gush about Vesson and the rules and things, <laughs> and how we've actually managed to run the game with never rolling a single dice. Mm-hmm. It heavily, heavily, heavily leans into the story aspect telling of a game. Mm-hmm. You can run Vesson without ever rolling a dice. So you can just like oh, we go into a house and you're going to look for clues. You're investigators. It's what you do as a job, mm-hmm. really. Even though specifically your 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 character might not be an investigator, you are out looking for specific signs for Verson. You're going to find them. You don't you don't need to roll a dice to look for them. You can think of a story hook that actually allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. It's it, it 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 kind of removes that mechanic of. Oh, I'm staring in this house for six hours and I'm just literally staring in a corner because I've rolled a one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It removes that aspect because there are some aspects of role playing that can be really dumb like that. But it's interesting, again, just a sort of a quick sidebar in a way. Like, obviously, I'm going to mention it the big, the big dragon and dungeon in the room um their most recent couple of, of modules and stuff like that they've trying to go down this no combat route to encourage the 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 role play aspect of it and mm. i find that's really interesting and certainly for something like this around imolk would i yeah. include like a big bad fight at the end probably not mm, and i think it needs it it doesn't need it right so i think that's really interesting that's what like, yeah and for, i definitely think for all, all these episodes we'll do like dungeons and dragons won't be the system i recommend to do this stuff in just because it, it is it's, a, it's a combat system it's a combat it's system designed as a combat system and so i do think i completely agree with you any rpgs that you want to do that definitely the more storytelling aspect and i do think you don't have to rely like you said on mechanics at all some yeah some of my best my most favorite games haven't relied on dice rolls. it has just been that 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 continuous interaction. the interaction with other players and the, the the narrative of it but i know mm. some people don't like it they you know they find it a bit awkward or you know they start they're not natural actors or not comfortable with that sort of thing so yeah. but i completely agree with you i think having a system where you can use a dice roll just if you need to decide an outcome but overall if your players are or willing to, put, to... to give people an idea to push a story forward exactly yeah like the quest system as, as well you could literally just do as a flip of a coin you know mm. you don't have to have the 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 six and above really to to, to to do it and the same and like the thing with the little helpers stuff is always you know you have to get over a 10 um, you could even just say, just roll 3d6, and if you ever get a 6, something else happens. You always succeed, but something else happens, and just builds it up yeah. from there. So, yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, so um, the other... Well, kind of another three systems, but two of them are kind of related. Mm-hmm. And one of them is not... And then the third one is not actually released yet. So do the one that's not actually released yet. Um, but I'm hoping to get Mark... So this is Mark Norman from the Folklore Podcast, or Tom Murr, who is another one of my regulars on the Twitch stream, to run this game at some point. Um, they have seen it. They have got copies, uh, like beta copies of it. And actually, Mark has got a has got two sessions or two stories on the Folklore Podcast for this game. And this is Solemn Vale. Oh, yes. Um, which is 1970s folk horror in the UK, basically. And well, it just that that basically is it. Um, it, it. It's 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 a it's an old festival. It's an it's an old pagan festival. If you want folk horror, you come to the British countryside and you throw in an old pagan festival in, into it. 
and then you just run with it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's there's a um, I know I know bits about the game. I don't know the mechanics of the game. Um, I did back it on Kickstarter, but I've not seen the beta. Um, but there's again, it's kind of there is always a, a a greater evil behind it. But with it being folk horror, it's always kind of underneath the story. It's always that undercurrent of the story that is happening um, with it. So it's kind of you'd go there and you'd see the festival happening. Think again. Think things like Midsummer, uh, where you kind of turn up and there's always just something slightly off with it, but it takes you along. You start. It seems generally quite nice at the start. Like 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 Inbox is. It it seems quite nice. It's a nice festival. It's just going around celebrating the birth of the new year. But then as you start to stay there longer, weirder and weirder shit happens. Actually, is yeah. It starts off with a corn dolly, but then suddenly the corn dolly starts to look a bit more real. Mm-hmm. start to grow mm-hmm. oh hang on a minute is is it actually a re- is, is it really a dog did i really see it move no, and then thanks. you start to throw in these slightly subliminal and subconscious visions of what's going on mm-hmm. to create this horror mm-hmm. and therefore is 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 that actually bridget that they're actually worshiping or has the morrigan subverted mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. or has some other dark deity within the some whether it's the Twat de Danon or whether it's the, the 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 Scottish versions or the English versions, is there something darker behind it now mm-hmm. that has subverted the festival? Mm-hmm. Um, what I would do with this is within Mulk, within these kind of settings, especially whether the other ones I'm going to talk about afterwards, is I would never turn in Mulk itself into a dark scary festival no in bulk itself is not a dark and scary festival it's a it's a bringing of the lights bringing of the new year and it's a nice happy festival there are some quite creepy folk horror elements behind it mm-hmm. that if just visually a folk horror but the festival itself is not if you're going to turn it into a horror thing make it something else that has taken control of it mm-hmm. have it have it subverted um that's what i would do with it personally um, I know that there would be people out there who probably have an argument with me about that. That I'm, in fact that I'm changing the festival, but for me, I want to run a dark horror thing, mm-hmm. but I also don't want to subvert something which is actually I don't want to make something that is quite nice horrible without removing. I don't know. It, it, I think you, you understand what I'm saying. I don't want to make the actual festival evil by because the festival is evil. Yeah. I want to make the thing that has got hold of the festival evil, evil. I, yeah i think that's a great yeah. different uh, way of looking at it what, what's your other two then so the other two um and one of them so can be connected in the same idea with solemn veil is chronicles of darkness second edition mm-hmm. um so chronicles of darkness is um chronicles of Dark- <laughs> weird wait so if nobody's ever heard of chronicles of darkness people a lot of people will probably have heard of vampire the masquerade Mm-hmm. Vampire the Masquerade is part of what's known as the World of Darkness, where we have multiple different games like uh, Werewolf, the Apocalypse. Don't look at me. I- I'm going to get all the names wrong here. So you're, you're um, the expert this is going to be really bad because I'm part of Darker Days Radio, which yeah. is a World of Darkness podcast. Yes. Um, so there's loads of them. But anyway, so there's Werewolf, there is Mage. Mage the Ascension is the World of Darkness game. Um, there is Wrath of the Oblivion, 
Um, is Ghost Hunters the new version that's come out is World of Darkness as well. So there's this there's this there's a world of darkness where all the games actually kind of actually coalesce into an ongoing meta universe. Mm-hmm. They then around 2000 and oh, I'm going to get the dates wrong here, but I want to say 2010. Okay. Maybe yeah. later than that, maybe 2013. They created what was called the New World of Darkness, which was basically the World of Darkness games, but with the meta plot removed. Right. So you'd have Vampire the Masquerade became Vampire the Requiem. Maze of the Ascension became Maze of the Awakening. Um, they, they also changed the rule system uh, to a, a slightly better rule system, to be fair. Um, but they removed, I say slightly better, but also slightly more bloated. But they removed the meta plots from it. And Chronicles of Darkness is basically the human aspect of it you you are playing the humans within this world where there are vampires where there are ghosts where there are mages and magicians and there are werewolves and you start to look at it from the human aspect but there's also you can play chronicles of darkness without any of that mm-hmm. but it's basically a pure folk horror game um, there's also something called the god machine within chronicles of darkness which is basically the, the world is a giant robot as a very simplistic kind of idea. Um, and it's all kind of occult techno mage stuff. Um, but pure Chronicles of Darkness, you can run as a pure folk horror game. Mm-hmm. And you'd run, I would run it in exactly the same way that I'd run Solemn Veil, but I'd set it in a modern setting rather than the 1970s. If you want to know more about Chronicles of Darkness, I'm going to do a bit of side plug here. Um, Darker Days Radio are doing some stuff with Onyx Path Publishing, where we would where we will be doing introductory Twitch streams, which will probably go up on either Darker Days Radio or Onyx Path YouTube, where Chris, Mike, and maybe some of the other presenters on Darker Days Radio will be interviewing the writers and community content creators for each of the lines of Chronicles of Darkness and kind of give you an introduction into the worlds. So if you want to know about Chronicles of Darkness or Vampire the Requiem, blah, 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 blah. Uh, first Saturday of every month, Darker Days Radio Twitch, um, we'll be doing interviews with these people to kind of explain Very these cool. things to you. Um, so it'd be basically Chronicles of Darkness 101. Um, so that's kind of the game again, but it would be pretty much the same as Solemn Veil. The other game that I would probably choose, uh, and again, we can use this across all of the festivals, is Changeling the Lost Second I was going to say, I assume Changeling would appear at some this point. Is, yeah, yeah. Chronicles of Darkness, I'm going to go into Changeling the Lost as well. Changeling the Lost is a game that we can spend so much time talking about, but I'm not going to because we spent so long talking about this. Anyway, we are at nearly two and a half hours. It's going to be my longest yeah. episode ever other than the Vesson episode. Um, but Changing the Lost is basically you were taken as a child. There's, there's dark themes and dark personal themes in the game. Um, and it is a game that you will have to play with a lot of consent and a lot of understanding with your players. And you will have to understand lines and veils, um, which are basically understanding everybody's points, which are that they are comfortable with playing in the game. Mm-hmm. because it starts off instantaneously your character was taken as a child across 
to Arcadia um, and through what is known as the Hedge. And you basically became a slave to a fairy creature um, who basically controlled you, manipulated you into being their slave. They, they controlled your form and you, you were their toy. Um, but you managed to escape um, Arcadia. You managed to escape through the Hedge and you came back to the real world whether it's a year later, whether it's seven years later, at some point you have managed to escape from Arcadia, only to realize that they sent a fey creature in your place and somebody is living your life mm -hmm. in your place. As, as, as happens in Changeling stories, babies get stolen and you are replaced. But you have now come back. You are playing the, you are playing the child who was taken and you've come back and you've seen this but you're also aware of the other world. Mm -hmm. And so there is a darkness there that you, you, you can't actually fit back into society. One, because your, your life has already been taken, but also because you're aware of the other world and the Fae, um, who most people can't see because of the masks that the Fae wear, but you can see through the masks. Um, but within this, there's a lot of connections to folklore and fairy tales because it's rooted within a fairy tale of the changelings mm -hmm. um and the fairy courts and you could quite easily connect Imbolc uh, the festival into some kind of fairy court festival that's going on or whether it's just the the um the court that you belong to in the city that you belong to of all the other changelings who have returned and your way of kind of dealing with with what's going on and um all the courts are related to seasons and so you have a summer, winter, spring, and autumn uh, mm -hmm. court, and a, and a quick king or queen of the court. And maybe what, uh, what happens is as, as the, the seasons change and the courts change in their powers uh, and wax and wane, you have the festivals to celebrate this. Mm -hmm. And it's, I wouldn't use it as a, maybe as a story arc, no. as a controlling kind of chronicle story arc, but I'd have it as, a, as an idea to kind of just show this shifting of power and you can again bring it in with all the other kind of festivals of oh uh, you get a message from your queen of your court saying well the festival of Imbolc has been um en enacted yeah something of the yeah. word um it's because upon us. we are yeah yeah we, unfortunately we're losing power uh, but we're going to amicably transfer the power over to this other court as part of the ceremony yeah, yeah. No, that because really cool. we don't want to fight we don't want to fight that's that's a bad idea so we're just yeah. going to amicably change it so we invoke the festival of Imbolc, mm. and you can do all this the rituals behind it and stuff so that's kind of where i go with it yeah well plenty um, of ideas uh yeah but there's so many ideas with rpgs um i'm also looking at the time i'm just yes. thinking nothing so um i will shut up now about that <laughs> um but yeah i think we, we've we've covered a lot mm -hmm. today um i've really enjoyed it Oh, I really enjoyed it too. It's nice to, to have people to talk to on, on a podcast and not on, just online. Sit there about and, look, and, we look like. and look at audacity waveforms as you're talking Agreed. and wonder why is my mic so quiet? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was nice. Thank nice. you very much. Thank you very yeah, much. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll just end then with yeah. plugging our various stuff really boringly. <laughs> I was going to say plugging out. That's a really bad way to end. Plugging our shit. Uh, plug our stuff. Stuff. Yes. So stuff. we go for so, it, David. 
I was going to say you go for it first. Oh, fine, I will. Thanks. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> oh, yeah, I was polite and then I wasn't. Um, so, yes, so if you're interested in finding out more about RPGs, um, if you think I'm very witty and funny, spoiler alert, I am. Uh, David can attest to it. Um, you can come and find me on the Watch My Rolling podcast, which is a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast, and also the DM's Book Club. Um, you can find those whenever you listen to podcasts, and I'm sure I'll be back on the Drunken Storyteller, ruining streams with me being positive and uh, ruining in quotation marks, absolutely. But uh, but yeah, and yeah, and I I've really enjoyed this. I I find it all really fascinating and, and interesting. And like for me, it's something I always try and take into my improv is that sort of learning about stuff and, and going into it. So no, thank you so much for being so informative, David. I really really enjoyed it. It's all right. It was it was nice to have questions. Um, to kind of expand upon the notes that I did, um, making me remember things that I should have probably written down and didn't. Um, do you want to plug your your uh, stand up stuff as well? Uh, the Galaxy thing, or is that going to be? Oh, finished that's going to be that's going to be way finished, unfortunately. Yeah, I do. Also, I do lots of improv stuff, but I tell you what, if you follow me on the other podcasts, I I mention it all on there. So local stuff was on there unfortunately all the cool fun stuff is finishing before this episode comes out so no. i know sorry <laughs> oh well anyway yeah um so thank you very much for joining me um yeah fiona will be on you're obviously on the alien game that we're mm-hmm. running at the moment when this comes out we'll have just done the first part act two so that will be up on youtube or twitch to watch hopefully somebody else has died by that point Spoiler alert, I don't know. Um, uh, then we have on the Friday after this podcast is coming out, so that'll be Friday the 4th of February. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we we might be playing something very similar to what you did with uh, that mouse guard game, uh, but you're all hobbits instead. You yes. might be delivering letters. I don't know, I can't remember. Yes, the One Ring um, RPG. We're going to be playing the, the One Ring, Lord of the Rings. Finally, it's I can't wait. Another free league game, me and free league. What? what? No. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll be we'll be uh, showing um, the one ring. Um, it may be one show, it may go more. We don't know yet. And we do have a game of cult divinity lost planned. Um, we're currently working out what date we're going to be doing that because I think everybody's getting their dates mixed up at the moment. Yep. Uh, because life. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say Cult Divinity Lost, if you're not into deep horror, I would probably fair warning, it's 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 a dark game. Pretty dark grim. It, it's pretty grim. Um but everyone who's in the game and who's gonna be playing it is an absolute it's a great cast. It is a great cast. Um so yeah, but it is it's a it's yeah. So there's that other than that, um I am your drunken storyteller. I have been having a few drinks, but nothing really special this this episode because I couldn't think of any. I was going to buy some cider because it's close to wassailing time. Yes. Um, and I did do an episode. I think episode two was on wassailing because this has been going now nearly uh, just over a year. This Woo-hoo. podcast. Um. So yeah, I didn't. Uh, I've not really seen the the alcohol. It's just some beer. Um. You can find me over on Twitter at the drunken store one or just the drunken storyteller because uh, twitter is weird like that i am on facebook and instagram as the drunken storyteller um you can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts wherever you find podcasts yeah 
And apparently, apparently, um, you can now star rate on uh, Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently, you have to get a certain number for it to show up, other than zero. Or you also, five you also have to listen through the whole episode before, you, at least one whole episode before you can do it. So I tried to do it with my own podcast, and because I don't listen to them on Spotify, <laughs> I can't rate them. Oh, I, I must have accidentally done that because I think I've rated mine. I don't know. I can't. Oh, remember. you probably you probably um, have listened to it. I I listen to it. I'm I'm an Apple girl, unfortunately. So I I'm 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 an Apple person as well. I'm <laughs> sorry to offend people. Um, yeah, we, obviously you can like and rate and review things on Apple. I have got one like one rating on 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 Apple. Um, so I'm doing well there. Yeah. <laughs> We have plans in the future. Oh, you can also, if you've got ideas for for suggestions as as to what you're going to want me to do for podcast episodes on actual folklore and stuff, what you want me to delve into and have a look at, or if you want to email me and tell me that Fiona's amazing and you want me to fuck off, um, you can go to the the Drunken Storyteller UK at gmail dot com. Just emailing uh, you now, saying bring me back for more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so if, if if you did like this format of me actually discussing things with people uh please do let me know um because it was actually really nice to actually just sit here and discuss things rather than just to say stare at my own words mm-hmm. um please do let me know um other than that other than that i think that's it really um it. i'm sure there was something else i was about to say but i forgot what it was i can't remember all i, all I was gonna say was a uh, happy emolk everyone happy yes because this will be released on imok yeah um, so happy imok to those of you who do celebrate it um i know i i didn't talk about any of the the, mod, the modern neo-paganism and, and and connections to wicca and things that exist now um but i do know there are people out there who do celebrate it so happy imok to those of you who celebrate it okay. um I hope treat, you have a good treat day. your biddies well folks uh yes uh, enjoy if, if you have any corn dollies and and bridged crosses that you make do, do don't share send them me on... pictures of corn dollies please i will include links to all of fiona's stuff in the um show notes and things and hopefully maybe some links to some of the rpgs and stuff mm-hmm. and maybe an amazon link to ronald hutton's book because it's a plethora of knowledge Mm-hmm. Um, in there so all that is left for me to say is as I always say the drink has run dry my friends enjoy the rest of your evening day, night, whenever it is you listen to it and goodbye